it's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about my sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, Sam Monson. We're live here on Monday morning, head to head with Good Morning Football. As always, 7 a.m. on a Monday, time to review all of the Week 13 NFL action, Sam. Mm-hmm. Pretty happy we don't do it daily like they do. Yeah, you were just, just saying that. Yeah. Yeah. Who wants to wake up this early every single day? No Not thanks. Me. No thanks, especially after a long night of football. Mm. It was a long night. Long day. Chiefs Packers, long day. Long weekends, you get the, the college football committee. Do you have uh, do you have a stance on the college football committee? You've got 15 seconds. On the Florida State thing? Yeah. I mean, it's in the rules, like the bylaws or whatever. They will take into account players that won't be available. And if your quarterback isn't available, that seems fair enough. It's messed up. Should have been Florida State. No. They don't have a quarterback. Unlucky. It's uh, inconsistent criteria. Not for the top so, four thing. It only gets inconsistent. They rank after every that. team. Yeah. They're supposed to rank every team. Don't and care. If they said, hey, Florida State doesn't have their quarterback, who would you want to play tomorrow? No. Then Georgia, Ohio what? State, all these other teams should have been ahead of Florida it's, State. It's my final f- take. It's only inconsistent outside of the top four where nobody cares about it anyway, right? They ranked number one, two, three, four, and then they just scribbled some names down. Did the, the rest of them don't matter. The, the order after that was irrelevant. Yeah, they were probably tired. Long yeah. day for those guys, too. It's like one, two, three, four. Once we've got that done, then, like, whoever's got the pen, just fill in the rest of the names. Like, the rest, it doesn't matter. All right, let's get into the NFL action. we got a lot of stuff here. I was trying to debate, do we, um, do we get the good stuff up first, or do we get the, uh, the not-so-good stuff out of the way? Hmm. I think we should start in the AFC East. Okay. So the not-as-good stuff. Um, so... We have a 6-0 game and a 13-8 game in the AFC East. I want to I kick things off with that, and then we'll build up. We'll crescendo to the, uh, to the, you know, the other games. All right. Uh, Los Angeles Chargers, 6. New England Patriots, 0. Mm. Chargers move to 5-7. and seven. Patriots move to 2-10. and 10, And also, perhaps more importantly now, into position for the number two overall pick. Bill's really getting it done. It's an impressive tank job. I mean, if we were right a few weeks ago that he, you know, went. If this is actually a mastermind plot to yeah. get the number one overall pick, it is his greatest coaching achievement. He Forget went, the Super Bowl rings. This is it. This is it. He this went, season. 
Because it's tough, right? Mac Jones, Mac Jones was a, originally perfectly serviceable starting quarterback, mid-tier quarterback. He was going to be the guy that would have some good seasons and then leave you wanting a little bit more. And Bill's like, no, no, no. He played the he played the Jedi mind tricks, right? Yeah, perfectly serviceable starting quarterback, and you ruin his mind. And on the way, on the inevitable march to the number one overall pick, absolutely masterful coaching job. All right, well, that's possible. Um, also, realistically, maybe the Patriots are just terrible offensively. They didn't score again. Bailey Zappi got the start. Um, defense played all right against the Chargers, but the Chargers, once again, could not catch the ball. I know there was a weather game, and it was it was rainy, but it was another day. A few weather games. Uh, very, yeah, there were a few weather games in here. Only, only the Dolphins seemed to overcome the weather because they're just faster and better than, well, Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Justin Herbert with another five or six drops probably lost another – 60 to 70 yards, if not more, on drops, including two, I mean, one unbelievable throw to Quentin Johnston, um, another throw down the field that was dropped as well. I don't think it was as bad as it looked for Herbert, at least. Yeah, the Chargers' offense didn't do a whole lot. But, yeah, it was, it was a 6 nothing game, Sam. Yeah. 6 nothing, Which covered the spread. Yes. The, <laughs> there's a lot of funny things about this game. The Chargers favored by 5.5 as of the time that we recorded, right? 5.5. Mm-hmm. They, they covered by winning 6 nothing. <laughs> Um, Patriots also set an NFL record. It was the first time since uh, old tungsten arm yeah. back in the 30s. The first team ever to allow 10 or fewer points in a game for three straight games and lose all three games. So that's fun. It's, it's not even the most fun stat in that ballpark of mine for the Patriots. NFL teams this season are 52-3 and three when they've allowed 10 or fewer points. Oh, they're the three. All three losses for the Patriots in the last three weeks. They have allowed 26 <laughs> points over the last three weeks. Yeah, it lost as all a defense the... and lost. That might be best in the NFL. They might have the best points right. against over the last three weeks, and they're 0-3. And they're 0-3. Uh, one more stat of uh, New England's incompetence. They now have the lowest points per game average since 2011. The Rams offense, coordinated by Josh McDaniels. Wow. McDaniels doesn't have a great resume outside of Tom Brady. It's not good. Neither does Bill Belichick, for that matter. In fact, outside of Tom Brady, there's not an awful lot going for the New England Patriots. Unless this is a Caleb, Caleb Williams, Drake May ploy, and you, you, they're going to they're gonna build it back up. Mm. They're going to build it right back up. I and mean, maybe they need McDaniels to do that as well, because the offense is... It's pretty bad. Um, Ramondre Stevenson also gets hurt for New England. Uh, we don't need to spend too much time on this game. But um, I thought the Chargers' defense also kind of played well. New England uh, had a scoring opportunity. They were in field goal range, but they were down 6 nothing, so they had to go for it on fourth down in the fourth quarter. And uh, the Chargers kind of um, flipped the script on a must-have game. They overloaded overload pressure. Guy named the player, number three, gets the sack, comes unblocked. Um, that's the type of stuff that usually happens to the uh, to the Chargers on fourth and five with the game on the line. And um, even after all that, New England still had some opportunities to come back. And, um, well, they didn't. No, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, Khalil Mack with a big day. Khalil Mack with a big day. Um, Tyquan Thornton dropping a deep bomb. Like, Bailey Zappi finally finds a good deep pass, lands right in his hands, doesn't land in his hands. This is like the third time this year we've said that. New England... You could probably count on one hand the number of good passes the Patriots have had this right. year. And down every the one field. of them seems to have been dropped. Yeah. I mean, literally at least three, like maybe the three best passes that Mac Jones or Bailey Zappi has thrown this year has been dropped. Mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, Tyquan Thornton, um, he did have a 40-yard or 39-yard yep. run showing off his speed, but yeah, it was only kind of offsetting the <laughs> the potential touchdown that he dropped, or at least deep bomb. Um, uh, this game, like early in the game, it felt like an exercise of just how many different ways do the Patriots have in their playbook of not passing the ball. It's like, ah, we're going to line up in whatever formation, but it's a run. Like, don't don't you worry about that. We're not putting the ball in the air. It's a, it's just another way of handing the ball off. A lot of eye candy to get Zeke, you know, his three point. Yeah, and, yards it, per and, and it started off being Ramondre Stevenson. Only he got injured with a, another hip drop tackle. Was it Thule got him with the hip drop? I think so. Yeah. Um. So his ankle got smushed, and he's out. And then it's yeah, it's Bailey Zappi trying to come up with as many different ways as possible of handing it off to Zeke. And you're like, okay, I know it's the Chargers, but still. That's probably not going to have a ton of success. Yeah, I think they're going. I think they're going to end up banning, banning that tackle. Mm-hmm. Um, one more thing, because we have to talk about controversial calls. Did you, uh, cool. the very end of the game, uh, Chargers get called for a defensive pass interference, and it looked weird. Like it looked like a weird throw on the broadcast. Like something had got tipped at the line. Brandon Staley challenges the play, and they go and re- replay it. They show the replays where the ball hit the defender's hand. Mm-hmm. Like you saw his fingers move. And then they come up and like, nope, challenges. Ruling on the field is upheld. Um, and I don't know if you heard the commentary, but did you hear Gene Steratore? No. Comes in, right? And they're like, Gene, what'd you see here? Uh. And Gene goes, yep, it's a good call. They're going to they're gonna, they're gonna call it a tipped pass. The pass interference is going to be negated. Good job by the refs getting that right. And they were like, no, Gene, they upheld the call on the field, Gene. They did not overturn it. They did not see the batted pass the way everyone else did. And they said, yep, yeah, it's pass interference. And then Gene came back and was like, oh, sorry, guys. I thought they, you know, thought they overturned it. Mm. So they, um, they screwed that up. So Gene's complimenting the reps for making the right call when they didn't. I know that's got to be tough. He's, tra- he's got, you know, four games going at a time and everything. And he just assumed the refs would do the right thing looking at the replay. Um, but the charges overcame. They did. They overcame that. <laughs> six to nothing. To win the game, six to nothing. Yeah. I mean, I don't got much about this game. I got no more use for this game. Patriots are bad, really bad on offense. Chargers were pretty bad, and that apparently is enough to cover the spread. I just, uh, Justin Herbert, once again, 22 of 37 for 212. And uh, Quentin Johnston did finish with five catches for 52, but he drops probably Herbert's best pass of the game. They, uh, Another game where the stats could have been a lot better for Herbert if the Chargers just caught the ball. This is probably the most targets he's had in a week, right? Quentin Johnson, seven. Yeah, and everything still just looks very awkward yes. with him. He did. Maybe. I mean, look, five catches for fifty-two. It wasn't. He did make some plays. He wasn't horrendous the whole time, but it still looks just a little awkward for Quentin Johnston. And I think <laughs> the whole time the uh, you know Chargers offense needs him to uh, to develop. Yeah, I mean. The weather, I think, was a serious thing, not just in this game, but in a lot of them. Like, the Chargers weren't good in offense, obviously. They had seven points. The Patriots' defense is pretty good. Uh, J.C. Jackson on his revenge game, you know, mission, trying to make some plays, had a pass breakup in there. Um, But also, I think the weather, like, the weather explains a lot of why the Chargers only had six points. The weather doesn't explain why the Patriots had no points. Fair. Fair point. We'll get to the other weather game in the AFC East, or both weather games in the AFC East in a minute, but... As a parent, you've had to learn so many new skills to provide for your family, how to do copious amounts of laundry, meal plan for even the pickiest eater, and now how to protect your family's financial future. Fabric by Gerber Life provides an easy one-stop shop for your family's financial needs, offering high-quality term life insurance policies plus other financial solutions in one easy 
online hub. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high-quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. And Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. So join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, the um, the four lowest scoring teams of the day yesterday, Patriots, Chargers, and then this game, the Falcons and the Jets. Falcons 13, Jets 8. Obviously, the Chargers and Falcons uh, won their games mm. despite being among the four lowest scoring teams yesterday. Falcons moved to 6-6, six and six, commanding lead in the NFC South now, a game ahead of the Saints, and the Jets fall to 4-8, and eight, the number 13 seed ahead of only New England in the AFC. And it's looking less and less like Aaron Rodgers was going to make that miraculous return. There was a report before the game from Ian Rappaport that uh, things are good for Aaron, but uh, probably won't see him. Here. Well, it's just, yeah, the reason for him returning is getting smaller and smaller. It's like now if he returns, it is just to make the point that, hey, I could have been back, you know? Look at me. Aren't I great? What there, was, there was always a chance that was going to happen, any, like that he was never going to be able to, but regardless. But, like, um, that's the – like, if the, any return happens, it's only with the purpose of showing his miraculous recovery skills, you know? Yeah. he I, I heal in this period of time. It's, there's no longer any prospect of saving the team. This was another ugly one. It was raining. The uh, Jets got the scoring kicked off with a safety. Yeah. It was Great punt. Thomas Morstead punt. Good punt this and down well. Good like punt. Combination of and good, yeah. great punt. Great uh, work by the, the coverage team. I don't know who it was, but whoever got the initial touch on it was like a fantastic. Got hold of it. Just dropped it just back over the line as he was going over. And it just stayed there. And then like two other people made an attempt to almost like knock it over the line and anyway as a ray guy award voter in college football for the you best punter vote. i appreciate that that you uh, is that the kind of thing you want to put out there publicly i'm a Blitnikoff voter as well yeah. i mean i vote for other awards Where you watch other positions you 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 know what you don't watch special teams ever um when i'm when i'm charged with voting i grind that's when you take it seriously yeah, i get got into the film yeah. so during the games you like leave the room once there's punting happening but when you're voting you go through and grind the grind film, them out yeah like guy by guy let's watch all the coffin corners let's watch some open fields let's watch the rugby punts yeah i could break them all down got it yeah okay i take my vote very seriously for the great guy award and i appreciate you taking 30 seconds to break down thomas morstead's punt yesterday mm. well so you had the the great punt great coverage unit that set them up at like the six inch line then the falcons got a little bit of breathing room and thought they were safe you know, now it's second and whatever, second and eight from the two. And they're like, oh, we're good. And then the Jets just annihilated the next run they had, which I, mean, I don't know how wise you want to be running laterally in your own end zone, but whatever. Outside zone type of play, and the Jets just murdered it. And deep in the end zone, safety, there's your opening points. Quinn and, Quinn and Williams blew it up, but I thought even better than that was Ashton Davis. The Jets' safety just moved his blocker six yards into the backfield into Bijan. He just like ran through him. It was unbelievable. Yeah, those two guys. I mean, Quinn Williams was in the backfield destroying the play. If there was any shot of getting away from that, 
Ashton Davis blew that up by just running right through his guy. And, like, I mean, whoever the running back was had absolutely no chance. That's the Jets' third safety of the season as a defense. Oh, impressive. Is that, that going to get you down the rabbit hole? No. Of, no, uh, no. All right, just I've given it. up on that. Well, we can't find the game, so can't I can't. Find, yeah, forget it. That's an inside joke that isn't even a joke. It's just forget it. Move on. Mm. Um, Falcons came back. They were not moving the ball well at all. And then um, Desmond Ritter had back-to-back really nice throws, had a deep out to move the chains, and then a 20-yard seam to uh, Nicole Pruitt. Michael? Michael. Pruitt. 20 yards up the same. Those back-to-back pretty good throws from Desmond Ritter. Yeah. And then, um, you know, Falcons get up 7-2. to two. It was 10-5 to five at one point. Jets come back to make it 10-8. to eight. And then 13-8 uh, to, eight. <laughs> to eight win for the Falcons. Um, Tim Boyle got the, got the start again for the Jets. Got benched after throwing the ball to Jesse Bates for an interception. Is that bad? Yeah, Jesse Bates continues to make plays. Remember, we highlighted how good of a season he's having. Last week, he had the two huge uh, forced turnovers in the red zone for the Falcons. Another another turnover here to help the Falcons win. Um, after Tim Boyle got benched, Trevor Simeon comes in. And Simeon had 13 official pass attempts and a run, and he was sacked three times. That's, say, 17, call them action plays. Action plays. Yeah. He fumbled on three of them. Hmm. And almost a fourth. The last play was uh, was called incomplete. Yeah, and I've seen. I mean, I've seen Trevor Simeon play quarterback, and I was thinking he he from what I've seen, he should be better than Tim Boyle, and at least comparable to Zach Wilson. Uh, and what did I tell you? It's not the case right now. Yeah. When you said that, what did I say? I don't remember. What did you say? I said, well, he can't be worse. Oh, he might not yeah. be better. <laughs> like, this is the world the Jets are in right now. There's no good. There's just which bad do you want to go with right now? That's yeah. what they're, they're choosing between. The Jets' offense this game started with three consecutive punts and then a fumble before they finally got a field goal on the board. Um, yeah, I mean, it's terrible. I, like, I feel bad for the Jets' defense because they are so good. And then, you know, there are games that get away from them because they know, like, if they don't, if they don't score 10 points, they're probably not winning the game. They're, they're, they're put on. I mean, th- their defense, once again, scored points yeah. with the safety, and they're, but they were put on a short field. Right. That's what I mean. Like, they, they now know that After scoring all. isn't enough. They now need to score, like, double digits for them to win games, which is absurd. Yeah. Dalvin Cook fumbled early on. So. Because it's not just that, it's not just that the, uh, their offense is not going to score. Like, if they were going into a game going, it's going to be zero points from the offense – so any points on the board are going to have to come from us. That would be one thing. But they're going into games saying, the offense, there's a pretty healthy chance that the offense is going to put six up for the opposition. Like They're going to actually cost us points, not just put them up. So we now need to score double digits. Yeah, and we talk a lot about how difficult, I mean, when we get into the offseason and discuss the Jets, we're assuming Aaron Rodgers will be there next year. We also talk about how difficult it is to project defense year over year. Um, it's going to feel good on paper that the Jets are going to do that. It's going to be tough for them to replicate it <laughs> as good as they've played next year mm-hmm. when uh, presumably Rodgers is back. But a lot of issues for the Jets. That's why they scored uh, six points offensively. Yeah. Late in the game, did you see uh, Cordero Patterson save a possession? Now, saved it by fumbling. Um, fumbled and then got the ball. No, well, didn't get the ball. Fumbled it and then batted it out of bounds to stop it being a turnover. It was sort of... I mean, you think about it, that's recovering your own fumble in a way. Because, you know, so he literally fumbled, get, yeah, fumbles the ball going wide, 
there's like a million jets around this football and Patterson. And he dives to the ground and just whoosh, bats it out of bounds, saves the possession. That could have been costly in this, this game. Um, because it's the end of the season, we're talking uh, scenarios and rankings and everything. So as I said earlier, Falcons are now 6-6. Six and six. They are a game ahead of both the Bucks and the Saints, actually, in the NFC South, who are both 5-7. and seven. And again, as of right now, the Falcons would be the number four seed as the division winners hosting the Dallas Cowboys if the playoffs started today. Mm. You so. wanted to praise uh, Bud Dupree. I merely sent you a message that he had the best game of his uh, life season. Oh, good game. He had two sacks. Yep. Both, you know, he had four. I think we have him with four pressures. They're all of the cleanup variety. Right. Or pursuit. Pass rushing grade in the 70s. Yeah. That's yeah. good. So he made he made some nice plays, and he had a couple other quick wins in there. So good job, Bud Dupree. After mm-hmm. a year of a year of uh, pass rush grades in the fifties, he did have one of his best games of the season. Good job, Bud Dupree. All right, I got no more use for this game. <laughs> That's from game. Uh, what's the movie? Uh, My cousin Vinny. My cousin Vinny. Yeah, we've we've had this discussion many many times i got no more use for this guy all right let's go one more afc east game that we got to grind out here miami dolphins 45 washington commanders 15 dolphins move to nine and three now tied with the ravens for the best record in the afc we'll see what happens with jacksonville tonight Are they bank in the number one seed technically I think um dolphins ravens and jags i don't none of those teams have played each other yet i think miami so, jumped back into the yeah the so i don't know what the tiebreaker is going to look like there but yeah miami the uh, AFC playoff picture could go through Miami as of right now. 45-15 to 15, um, for much of the season, the wit without the home away splits for the Dolphins were, were the story. But it might just be the good-bad team splits because Miami puts up a huge number on the road, dominated right from the get-go. Tyree Kill, five catches for 157. Just, uh, just a beatdown by the Dolphins here. Yeah, I mean, we, so we speculated – what the removal of Jack Del Rio would do um, to this defense. Like, would it improve them? Because there's some, there's some talented players on that Washington defense, and they've generally been playing below the standard that they're capable of in periods. So what did it do? Uh, it, it didn't do anything. Um, <clears throat> I, it was like Washington had never seen Tyreek Hill before, right? And they went into this game with a game plan that was sort of centered around Tyreek Hill was just an abstract construct. They'd never seen him before. And this game was, you know, the, the, the Dallas Thanksgiving game in 98 where Randy Moss had that three for a buck 65 and three touchdowns or whatever it was, right? And it's like, those are the games that happen the first time you see a guy like that. Because it's like, ah, you've only ever th- seen Randy Moss in theory, right? So you have a whole game plan that's just normal or like maybe a couple of wrinkles here or there to take care of a Randy Moss. And then you realize once you're playing him live, oh, none of this works. Like everything we just did, bin it, all of it, junk it, because we now need to construct an entire game plan on the fly strictly around stopping this guy because he's different. Tyreek Hill is like that. And Washington played Tyreek Hill like two years ago. And even if they hadn't, he's been in the league like a decade. You should have seen this by now. Instead, it's like, who is this guy? His first touchdown was one-on-one against his safety in the slot. What are we doing? Yeah. You can't do that. Sorry, I got to let you cook. Sorry. You can't. I mean, one-on-one against the safety in the slot with no help over the top. What is that? 
it was just a standard cover one, and the free safety was leaning to the other side of the field. Yes. And so Tyreek was like, I haven't seen this since 2017. Right. I'm just going to run deep. I haven't Bye seen everybody. this since rookie year. Yeah. Um, that part I just I don't understand. Because like even if you're a fan and you're playing, like when you're playing the Chiefs as a fan and you're watching Tyreek Hill, or you're playing the Dolphins and you're the opposing fan, you're like, man, where's, as a fan you're watching where Tyreek is, is, is just a – an observer of the game, you're watching where Tyree Kill is, and you know that the defense, part of the reason why he's so good is because, okay, you can't cover him, and then he does take two defenders very often and opens things up for other people. Because the, because you're like, hey, when he's inside in the slot, if he runs the over route, we can't cover him. If he runs deep, we can't cover him. So you have to put extra defenders there. And Washington did the opposite. It yeah. didn't work. But uh, yeah, So two long touchdowns. One's one-on-one on cover one. The second one... Um, he made a nice adjustment in midair. I think after the game, they, um, I don't know if it was Tua or Tyreek said he ran the wrong route. So this is how good he is. He ran, he ran by the defender, may have run the wrong route, mid, mid-flight, turned it into the corner route that he was supposed to run, went and caught the ball and ran behind, you know, got behind the defense for his second long touchdown. So he has a 78-yarder, and what was the other one? Um, did I lose it? 60. A 78 and a 60. And the only thing screwing up his average is they kept throwing him screen passes into traffic where he you know, screwed up his uh, yards per reception. So five catches for a buck 57 and two scores. Tua, really nice job throwing to space. I mean, that's when this Miami offense is cooking. It's like a, you get the deep ball here and there. Then there's other passes where Tua is just so anticipatory, throwing the ball into space. He had a few of those nice ones as well. And then, of course, Raheem Mostert gets his 16th touchdown of the year on the ground. Devin Achan gets into the end zone twice as well. Really nice little four-yard run. Uh, Miami was unstoppable on the ground, through the air, and they dominated. Yeah. It's, I mean, incre- just suicidal defense by Washington. Absolutely insane. Um, Tua deserves credit as well. It's an interesting mix because – so in this weird year of there's no MVP, like every you can construct an argument for like 10 players, right? Um Tyreek Hill on his way to like 2,000 yards, the first receiver to ever get there. He's well on track at this point. He's on track for like 2,100 at this stage. Uh, he's going to have an argument, and it's not a bad one, but also anytime you've got a wide receiver having an incredible season, you have the inevitable problem of, well, the quarterback is throwing him the ball, and the quarterback generally is a more important player in an offense. So Tua has a case, right? And I think this happens almost all the time when you have an amazing QB wide receiver connection, they're both bringing something to the table. Like it's it's a it's virtually impossible for a wide receiver to make a quarterback. You know, there's nothing this guy's bringing to the table. Just putting the ball in the air, and I'll go make it happen. When for the second time this show, when Randy Moss and Dante Culpepper were so amazing, like the if you look at Moss's highlight reel, the number of plays where Culpepper drops it like into a bucket, 55 yards downfield, is ridiculous. If Moss doesn't have Culpepper. For that period of his career, his numbers probably aren't as good. Now, we saw right at the start, Randall Cunningham, like he was pretty QB-proof, but it's different if he doesn't have Culpepper. Tua is so good at doing that Chad Pennington thing of putting the ball in the air deep, like immediately. He gets, you know, his average time to throw is so incredibly low, in addition to his average depth of target being very high, because he just knows that the guy's going to be open and just puts it in the air and lets him run underneath it. Both of those deep 
passes yesterday. The ball was in the air before Tyreek Hill was past the guy, yep. right? He knew that he would be past the guy because, like, he's, he's got the look. He's like, wow, it's one-on-one. Auto is like the Alex Smith year, right? When Ty- In 2013 or whatever it was, when Tyreek Hill— 2017. Yeah. 2017, sorry. When Tyreek Hill rocks up, and it was just instant. If he's one-on-one on the outside, I'm putting the ball in the air. It'll be a, it'll be a deep reception. That's all Tua is doing. Like, I got one-on-one, drop back, put the ball in the air, and then Tyree Kill can run under it and go get it. And as long as I haven't underthrown it, it's a big play. Yeah, a couple things there real quick. I mean, those when you're talking about Tyree Kill for MVP, I don't hate it at all. Um, I, that's one where I would, I would go away from, say, like war numbers and everything. It, and this would be the argument. Because Tua fans would say, well, you never discounted – Mahomes or a Brady or a Rodgers or whoever when they had great weapons, right? But with Tyree Kill, we've now seen him lead Alex Smith to having the most deep passing yards in in the in a season for 2017. Um, we know that Mahomes is still pretty great regardless of Tyree Kill, but when you add this year's numbers, now last year Mahomes was great without Tyree Kill, but when you add this year's numbers into it, there's going to be some wit without splits in there where Mahomes' production has taken a hit. And it might be unfair to Tua, but we only saw two years of Tua without Tyree right. Kill, and he was averaging like 6.3 yards per attempt or whatever it was. I mean, it was it's like night and day. So the argument for Tyree Kill is kind of like this multi-years, multiple years worth of evidence that he is a QB elevator. Um, there's always confounding factors. You're right. I mean, Tua is outstanding at fitting what Tyreek Hill is doing, not just because he throws it far, but like you said, he throws it early. Mike McDaniel came in as well, put them in position to, you know, to succeed. But yeah, I don't hate the Tyreek Hill argument here. Um, I will say on the Randy Moss thing, looking back at his career, Jeff George, Randall Cunningham, Dante Culpepper, maybe not the best quarterbacks, but maybe three really good quarterbacks for Randy Moss and then Brady. Yeah. All guys that could get him the ball down the field at least. So we got to see Moss with quarterbacks that could play to his skill set at least yeah i mean you forget the raiders randy moss um and the end andrew like walter the, yeah and, the, and the, the the ass end of his career but for the the good parts of his career the only kind of quarterback that didn't really fit randy moss was brad johnson right and even True. even even then he was so good right away that he managed to turn a bunch of terrible brad johnson underthrows into elite you know big plays um, one more thing I want to highlight here. Uh, Sam Howell threw a pick six, Andrew Van Ginkle. Mm. Um, I'm not sure how much to actually blame Sam Howell on this one. It was a quick screen. It's a catch and throw type of thing. Maybe the alignment, yeah, they should have known. He should have known from pre-snap alignment not to throw this thing. But Van Ginkle normally is supposed to be cut by the right tackle there and just makes a great play. Reads it, takes it to the house. Van Ginkle had a big game. He'll, uh, he's going to win uh, Defensive Player of the Week probably. Yeah. In the AFC, because he had an interception for a touchdown, he had a How sack. How could you possibly predict that at this point in time? Oh, because he had the stats. Ah, I see. Yeah. I mean, we'll have him with a really good grade too. But anytime you have a pick six and a sack, I mean, pretty tough to uh, to overcome for defensive player. So they'll probably have offensive and defensive player of the week this week in the AFC. Off the top of my head. Hmm. Do they do AFC NFC? Yeah. Yes. Right. Forgot for a minute here. All right. Anything else? That's it on those games. Yeah. I mean, it was a strange game from Washington's offensive point of view. Like, they are, they got blitzed out of the gate very quickly. Uh, they were already down 10 when he threw that pick six to Van Ginkle. 
uh, and then they kind of clawed back briefly into it and then just couldn't stop the Dolphins at any point, and that dissipated pretty quickly. Uh, crack research staff, Ben Stockwell. Yeah. Who's, who's working right now. He's grinding the film right now, working, but always listening, always listening and, you know, ready to fact check us. And he says, you are absolutely correct, Sam, that the Dolphins are the number one seed. Well, that's not quite what he said. Player. What he actually said was, Sam is right for once. Shocker. That's verbatim what he said. Yeah. I was trying to protect you there, but that's Well, fine. that doesn't, I mean, it's not protecting me if I've read the words already. I'm protecting you from the public. Ah, I see. Yeah. And uh, the harassment from Ben. Mm. All right, we got no more use for that game. Let's go. Uh, do you want to go Pittsburgh, Arizona? The longest game ever. <laughs> the longest game ever. Arizona Cardinals 24, Pittsburgh Steelers 10. Arizona with their third win of the season. They moved to 3-10, and 10, falling out of the number two overall pick spot. Steelers fall to 7-5 and five as their crazy season continues. Uh, biggest news coming out of this game, not only the loss for the Steelers, who are fighting for a playoff spot, but Kenny Pickett injured. He's going to have ankle surgery. Sounds like it might be that tightrope surgery. That's like a two to four week recovery. That's the um, what people are theorizing at the moment right now. So Pickett got injured about halfway through the game or a little bit before, right? Um, right before the the break. Which one? Uh, the second break? Uh, whatever it was. <laughs> but a disappointing game for the Steelers. The second week post Matt Canada, maybe we overreacted in week one where they had a lot of yards and 16 points they end up with just 10 points here and it all came with uh, Mitchell Trubisky the last thing I wanted to finish up with here the Steelers have to turn around and play on Thursday night so it's going to be Mitchell Trubisky playing against the Patriots on Thursday night football yeah midway through the last game the first game without Matt Canada you know we we always talk about how I'm, I'm actively rooting for the funniest thing that could happen at all times we're like, how funny would it be if they went from being outgained in every single game but winning them all to as soon as they get rid of Matt Canada, now they're going to put up 400 yards every week and lose, you know? Yeah. And it looked like that was going to happen last week until they found some points and won the game, and then it was just the Matt Canada stinks and we're 400 yards every time he's not there. Story, right? This game, though, they outgained the Cardinals and lost. And lost conclusively. I mean, it wasn't even particularly close. The Cardinals were the better team throughout this game. So, I mean, that's in the running for, well, we've removed the reason we can't move the ball, but apparently that hasn't solved all the problems. We still can't actually score, which is maybe the next step in this whole process. Um, but I don't know if it's pointed or not, but each of the last two games, the non-Canada games, the first play has been a pass over the middle in a way that simply wasn't in the playbook previously. Last time, I think it was a pass up the seam to Fryermuth. This game, it was an in-breaking uh, route to George Pickens, which he didn't use to tend to run under Matt Canada. Um, He's run so, like four in-breakers in two years with the yeah, Steelers. Yeah, it's almost like they're making a point every week that the very first play is going to be something you won't see under Matt Canada. Um, but yeah, like... I mean, at some point, they're going to need points on the board in addition to, to moving the ball. Um, I will say, I mean, it does, didn't matter in this game. Trubisky looked pretty good in relief because he was throwing the ball to the middle of the field pretty well, too. Hit a big deep out on third and 14. Um, Trubisky, look, he wasn't great last year when he started in Kenny Pickett's rookie season, but he played all right. He actually had some big plays in certain games, third and longs. Um, I mean, he, for the, for the moment, 
it's you're going to end up with a different style. But functionally, Trubisky and Pickard are the same quarterback in terms of the level, right? So any bump that you're anticipating for Kenny Pickett now that he's freed of Matt Canada's oppressive yoke should apply to Trubisky as well. Like, Trubisky should be better now in this offense than he would have been in Matt Canada's offense. That's just a logical uh, next step. Um, Arizona on the other side, though, again, they deserve a ton of credit. As soon as they play a game like last week where they got dominated by the Rams, it, it keeps feeling like, all right, of course, this is what we thought the Cardinals were. Of course, they're going to get, you know, beat down in a bunch of games. But they always battle back, man. They battle back the next week and they played much better. Um, stopped the run a lot better against Pittsburgh yesterday. Again, after Pittsburgh's run game had shown signs of life against the Bengals with Najee Harris last week. Um, and then James Conner with a huge game on the ground in his return to Pittsburgh. What a weird season they're having. Like, they generally are getting beaten fairly handedly by everybody, but their two wins have come against Pittsburgh and Dallas. Yeah. I mean, Dallas is a powerhouse. I mean, Pittsburgh's just the team that finds a way to win every game except when they don't. Right. But they'd won most of them. <laughs> yeah. they're good. They've got a pretty good record to be getting your second win against. Um, Trey McBride, since they've yes. like unleashed him as tight end one, has been an absolute force and you know an absolutely dominant player for them. He looked like he'd scored a touchdown, and then they took it off the board. Now, logically, I think, given other plays that have happened this season, it made sense to take it off the board, but this was another one. I don't know if it was Gene or somebody else, but like the rules analyst was like, ah, I think this one's going to stand. This Hit is the different. ground and then didn't complete it. Which one was this? Yeah. yeah. So it was like the the Deontay Johnson play from last week, right? Where he catches the ball in the end zone, gets multiple feet down, three in this case, and then the they hit the ground and the ball comes out. And he's like, well, the difference between this and the, the Deontay Johnson one last week is that there's a third foot down and even a knee and maybe an elbow, and then the ball comes out. So I think this one should actually stand. And then they were like, no, it's the same play. Don't be ridiculous. And they took it off the board. Then he scored, was it the next play or like yeah. a play or two later? Um, but either way, like McBride has had an insane level of production since they just put him in the lineup and went, why would he not be tight end one? McBride had, uh, they had seven first downs or touchdowns through the air. Arizona McBride had five of them. I mean, he was, he has been absolutely fantastic. Um, Arizona, it was three to three in the second quarter. And then Arizona took the last five or so minutes almost of the first half to go 15 plays for 99 yards to score that touchdown, and put this him up 10-3. That was before or somewhere in the middle of those breaks. Yeah, so it was interesting that the game, like it didn't it didn't go Arizona's way right away, and they just kind of ran away with it. This was close for a long time, and they were at 3-3 three to three before that drive. Um, Rondale dropped an absolute bomb. It was like third and 14. They had like back-to-back -back plays of getting stuffed for nothing, and in fact, negative yardage. And then third and 14... It's like everything they run was just getting annihilated in the backfield. And Kyler just goes, to hell with this. Like, bomb deep down the field to Rondale Moore. And we'd been sort of praising them for using Rondale as a deep threat. You know, a tiny guy that had just been a gadget receiver up until this point. They've been using him as a deep threat with Kyler Murray back. And he drops this absolute bomb. And like, that feels like the kind of play Arizona needs to have against a team like Pittsburgh. And despite that, they didn't need it. They then end up having that 99-yard drive and taking the lead and, and winning anyway. Rondell did have a negated touchdown, though, yep. where he mossed Rondell Moss. Right. Patrick Peterson. That didn't count. No, because then that was negated by holding.
Yeah, so weird so he game ends up for, with this. Uh, he ends up. What with was this, the stat line? I was going to say he ends up with a box score that's one catch for six yards because he dropped like a sixty-yard yeah. bomb and has a a great touchdown catch negated by a holding call. Yeah. So again, Trey McBride. He not only did he have five out of the seven first downs, eight out of the thirteen completions that Kyler Murray had officially, because you take that the Rondell drop and the negated touchdown. So, um, but yeah, credit. Arizona and uh, Pittsburgh still hanging on at seven and five. Uh, where are they in the playoff picture here? I think I think if the playoffs started today, Sam, mm. they're the number five seed going to well, Kansas we, City. We would have to take them out because they lost their quarterback. We t- we would take them out. That's right. We would kick the Steelers out of the playoffs until we showed uh, we would need some surgery results <laughs> from Kenny Pickett. Can he come back? Well, no, because the idea is they're starting today. Oh, if the, that's true. Yeah. He, would, he would be unavailable. Pittsburgh right. would be kicked out of the playoffs. We'd put Houston in, mm-hmm. and I think that would be Fair. a good decision. That would be the same exact decision that the college football playoff committee made this weekend. And I have no problem with it. And you have no problem with it? None. Okay. All right, let me uh, – let me. anything else to wrap up on this while I get my bearings? Uh, no, crazy. I mean, the, we were joking about this being the longest game ever. Like, they had multiple weather delays. Uh, the second one, at one point, they showed a, uh, just a, a video, a, a live shot of, like, cascading rain coming down. Like, some of the worst rain you've ever seen just dropping out of the sky. In addition to the, you know, the lightning and yada yada. And this felt like it was going to go on for hours. All right, so we got a prize picks lineup for tonight. Yeah. Here's the deal. It's, uh, it's Jags-Bengals. Mm-hmm. It's Monday Night Football. And this is what we're doing. Here at PFF, Evan Ingram, Jaguars tight end. We got him going more than 42 and a half receiving yards. We have his Travis Travis Etienne. This is a good one. More than one half. So all he needs is one. More than a half passing, rushing, or receiving touchdown. A score of any description. Yeah, get into the end zone, Travis. And we also have Travis going more than 86 and a half rushing plus receiving yards. So it could be through the air or on the ground. So we're looking for a lot of Jags offense here. So Evan Ingram, more than 42 and a half. ETN more than a half touchdown and more than 86 and a half rushing and receiving yards. Prize picks, my friends. That's where you go. With basketball seasons here, you can also go pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, we got LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey, a 10 and a half combo of three pointers made plus receptions. You can also play alongside Prize Picks' favorite players. Like rapper Meek Mill, comedian Andrew Schultz. You can now find those community plays under the promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community every single week. Prize Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. So for football and basketball games, if a player who exits in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. Prize Picks is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So go to slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, that's prizepicks.com slash PFFNFL. Use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. 
Go to your happy price, price line. And when I'm thinking Jags on Monday Night Football, I'm thinking Mark Brunel. Mm, of course you are. More than two and a half touchdowns. Yeah. Jimmy Smith, more than whatever his receiving total is. How many times did Mark Brunel throw more than two and a half touchdowns? Probably five times. Right. Different era. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he was one of the best QBs of his generation with like a passer rating in the high 80s. Yeah. I mean, if, Baker Mayfield passer rating. It's if the there standard. are young fans pass, using passer rating as a proxy, they used to have four or five guys over 90 yeah. in a year. Maybe, set, you know, those 10, the, 15 guys over 80 in those a year. Are the two and numbers. now it's like 30 guys over right. 80. Those are the two numbers. Passer rating has jumped like 20 points as a baseline. And then completion rate, like over 60 used to be insane. 60 was a number. Like, this guy's accurate. He's yeah. sitting over 60. Like Joe Montana. That guy's over a 60% passer. This is virtually unheard of. Now it's like, if you're not completing 60% of your passes, you're barely functional as a human being at this level. Well, let's get to some AFC South action. Indianapolis Colts 31, Tennessee Titans 28. Colts moved to 7-5. and five. It was an overtime victory for the Colts here. Titans lose their first game in Nashville all season. Ever. Yeah. Killing my stat here. And um, I, I lost this game because you, you told me to go with the Nashville thing. I was talking myself into the Colts the whole time. I mean, I just but, wanted uh, you to stick with your own convictions. Yeah, I could do that. Uh, Titans, uh, Titans fall to 4-8 and eight here. This was... This game was wild, man. Yeah, it's crazy. it was. Uh, I said a couple games were kind of intoxicated yesterday. This was one of them. Hmm. There's a lot going on in this game. Yeah, the game was nuts. It made no sense. Um, so the Titans kicked off the scoring with a 22-yard run by Derrick Henry, and the Colts came right back, 36-yard touchdown. I guess we could just jump right to the end. <laughs> I'm not going to go through each score, but like it was like Will Levis at the beginning of this game. Every time I looked up, he was throwing the ball 50 yards down the field. Mm-hmm. Um, he had he had that play where he fumbled in the throwing motion immediately, sprinted and picked it up, Feels ran like- it back for what would have, could have been a 50-yard touchdown, but they just called him down. Right. Um, he got into a sideline spat with De- DeAndre Hopkins. It's and I was like, man, in like the first 10 minutes of the game, all this stuff happened. And I like I tweeted that out, and somebody's like, oh, you really hate Will Levis. I'm like, no, this is just fun. This is there's a lot going on. He also had a, a Levis copter play. Yeah, and he also tried to jump over somebody. Which was madness, by the way. fired up, man. In this world where, like, the NFL is trying to make it a capital crime to touch quarterbacks, you've got Levis out here, like, for a random, like, third and eight or whatever, early in the game, he decides to go John Elway on it and launch himself clean over two different players gets like blasted in the air spins around clunks on the ground and is then getting up like pointing for the first down you know like flexing on it like whoa like dude simmer like we got a whole game of this it's only against the colts relax oh man. levis was just fun in this game and um the other thing look i know they lost we're just talking about the players here but he also um he throws the ball with some zip man like you can see yeah Easy carry on the ball from Will Levis. He had back-to-back throws. He had a deep out, just boom, right there. And then the bang eight. Like, you just saw his velocity on a couple throws. He had a couple weird misses in there. But, um, again, I know they lost, but I think there were definitely some encouraging signs by Levis. I, I do feel like we might be entering this special world of Levis's volatility, Sam Howell's volatility, neither guy really at that Josh Allen level. But like kind of, you know, some Josh Allen light levels of uh, volatility and fun. That's what Levis kind of reminded me of yesterday. Um, 
among the other, I don't even know where to start here, but let's go end of the game. It's in overtime. We'll work our way backwards because there's a lot of crazy stuff to get there. In overtime, the Titans get the ball. Where did the scoring go? What happened here? I've lost my um, score. So the the box score that I'm looking at stops when it's 22 to 17. Yeah, that's not helpful. Do you know what broke it? Uh, a the blocked punt followed say. by the pick two. Right. That completely broke. Well, so you need to start with the blocked the punts. NFL Jesus yes. site. You need to start with the blocked punts because that ends up being the butterfly effect that starts this whole thing cascading. All right. Well, break it down, Sam. Uh, it was awesome. What a what a turn of events. Yeah. So, was it the first blocked punt? Yeah, the first blocked punt was t- returned for a touchdown, right? So, blocked punt, <laughs> touchdown for the Colts. Uh, and then they go for two, and Amani Hooker gets a pick two off the back of this, right? Um, and then the second one, the Colts block a second consecutive punt. The second one, they got them with the Patriots guy motioning in from the sideline thing. The one that we're like, yeah, you never see that again. That's not going to work. It's going to be off a specific tick that the guy has, you know, so they can start his run. Well, they got him with that. The guy motioned in. Poor old Ryan Stonehouse was just getting annihilated by these blocked punts because they were so conclusive victories by the punt blocking team that, like, it wasn't close. It's not like he's getting caught at the end of this. They're like, he's got a linebacker or a DB launching himself into his leg as he's trying to kick this thing. So... The second one, I don't think he even connected with the ball. I think the guy's, like, stand leg was taken out before they even kicked the ball. Uh, so Ryan Stonehouse is now down and out. So the, the Titans, A, don't have a punter. Nick Folk has to punt for them later in the game, the kicker. And B, they don't have a holder anymore. So they get a touchdown and miss the point after because Ryan Tannehill is now the, the new holder. Now... The hole looked okay. You know, the laces weren't spun all the way to the front. I don't know how much that matters. The ball was slightly tilted. I don't know how much that matters. It's too vertical. Right. It's a little too vertical for me. Either way. I don't know. They missed the kick, coincidentally, in the first hold where Ryan Stonehouse was not holding the ball. Uh, And that meant that instead of taking a one-point lead, it's tied up. And now we head to overtime. And then you get all the craziness in overtime. Yeah, so I was trying to get to just seeing uh, the first drive that Tennessee had. They got the ball. They go 48 yards in 10 plays. Took up more than half of the overtime period mm. to to kick the 46-yard field goal. So they did manage to actually kick a successful field goal with Ryan Tannehill on the hold. Um, so Titans were up three in overtime. But the, uh, the Colts came right back, man. It was Alec Pierce game in this one. Huge play. How long was that play? To set up the uh, the game winner, I had that somewhere. Good work by me. Mm. Um, but Gardner Minshew comes right back, hits Alec Pierce on a deep ball, and then game winning touchdown to Michael Pittman. Yeah, I mean Alec Pierce had two deep bombs in this game. Uh, he ends up with like three catches for a hundred yards or something crazy. Um, Michael Pittman has a hundred yards as well, but his come on eleven catches, <laughs> including the final one, the touchdown which is a really nice play by the Colts. They, like, stacked those guys, had a release uh, where Pittman kind of goes out first and then shoots back in behind the two DBs that have both kind of taken the inside release guy. They they were sort of staggered in terms of depth. They they had actually – they were set up to defend this well, 
but then they both went in the same direction and Pittman just sort of loops in behind them and is just wide open in the back of the end zone. It was actually a very similar concept to what the Titans had used on their first touchdown. They didn't run the fake flap, but they basically ran a high-low two wins to uh, to score their first touchdown in the tight red zone. So Colts, that's what they ran for a four-yard touchdown to Michael Pittman. So it was a 55-yarder by Gardner Minshew to, to set things up for the four-yard touchdown for the game winner for Michael Pittman. Um, so yeah, it was a just a crazy back and forth game. Uh, Minshew had turned it over early again. I thought, you know, if you're a Tennessee fan, there was a lot of things that were actually encouraging. I thought the um, the run game was excellent with Derrick Henry and Tajay Spears. It was probably the best run blocking effort by the Titans in this one. Um, but man, the Colts, they're still hanging tough here. And, you know, we've, there's been a lot of backup quarterbacks around the league and the Colts are, you know, Shane Steichen deserves a ton of credit. What they're doing with Gardner Minshew, I mentioned a couple weeks ago, they're kind of running a lot of the same offense that they would with Anthony Richardson. Obviously Minshew's not getting 10 carries a game like Richardson probably would, but they're running a lot of the same stuff and um, finding ways to win. It was, you know, impressive effort by the Colts. Um, needed the blocked punt and everything. Yeah, but, you uh, look, I mean, you look at the box score and it's a game that the Titans should have won. And part of the reason, probably the reason they didn't, was because consecutive blocked punts is, is generally a really catastrophic thing from an offense. Um, I mean, the other thing, like the Colts' defensive line for a couple of weeks in a row has really shown up and been a big part of winning the game. They had 29 pressures as a defense in this game. Samson Ebucom had another game where he had multiple sacks. That's two in a row for him. Quiddy Pay, friend of the show. Uh, had a great game um, himself, DeForest Buckner, yeah. right? Taekwon Lewis, like they had multiple players. Four different guys had at least four pressures and uh, at least a sack in the game. Huge impact on that Titans offense. Yeah, so Minshew finishes with over 300 yards passing, and it was a lot of those chunk plays. Michael Pittman with, with another high volume game, 11 catches for 105, but Alec Pierce with those three catches for 100, as you'd mentioned. Um, some big plays out of the Colts to um, to pull off the victory. So they're seven and five, man. Just like the Steelers, right in the thick of it. Technically, as of right now, they'd be they're one of four teams that are seven and five. Steelers, Browns, Colts, and Texans. Colts would be the third team out of that four if the playoffs started today. Number seven seed, Colts. So they're uh, they're hanging tough, man. They're playing some some fun football in Indy. For the Titans, they fall to four and eight. First home loss, as I mentioned, and uh, yeah, they're looking at a top ten draft pick. The Titans, by the way, being able to execute punts with a kicker does bring me back to this question of why can't the punter kick? If the kicker can punt, surely the punter can kick. I don't know, man. And it's not like you go, well, he's the ask holder. McAfee. He's the go holder. That can't happen. Go well, on McAfee's show. And ask him. They're like, he, if he's the holder, that can't happen. Well, apparently it can because Tannehill can just go in there and, and hold the ball. Now, okay, the, the kick was missed, but the, the hold looked okay. And then the kick, they made the next one. Can we? All right, that's enough special teams talk for today. No more use for that game. Houston Texans 22, Denver Broncos 17. Texans, again, one of those seven and five teams. Eight seed right now, though. Broncos fall to six and six. Obviously, a huge game with playoff implications. It's okay because they're going to get in when we get rid of Pittsburgh. Yeah, we'll switch them in for so the Steelers. Denver gets in for the QB injury. Now, Q- Denver's Alabama in this scenario. 
Denver? Yeah. No, Houston's Alabama. Houston, sorry, Houston's Alabama. Houston's Alabama. Houston's the eight because seed. Because we want to see C.J. Stroud in Houston. We'd rather see them. They're the eight seed. The line would be, yeah, they're right. the eight okay. seed sorry. as of right now. Gotcha, gotcha. And they're going to jump up yeah. to the five seed. Right, so Houston is Alabama. Correct. Got it. Um, because it's going to be, a, you know, the Vegas line would be better if it was Houston playing against the Chiefs. Yeah. Houston would actually have a chance against the Chiefs and the Steelers. We'd say, no way. They'd get wrecked, no matter who the QB is. Because maybe they have two backup QBs. Hmm. Anyway, um, Houston wins. They do. Discuss. Uh, Russell Wilson. So uh, Texans were up. Another another interesting game where it felt like Houston was making some chunk plays, but they left some points on the board. They were up 16-3. to Russell Wilson hits Cortland Sutton. Remember we said once a week? It was just a ridiculous throw. Russ had four ridiculous throws, really Several. good throws in this game, but also had turnover-worthy plays. But he hits Cortland Sutton for a 45-yarder. Absolute pass. Uh, just unbelievable pass, unbelievable catch, because Cortland Sutton had to fight through contact, yeah. defensive pass interference, to make the catch. That made it 16-10. to um, Stroud and the Texans come back, score another touchdown, miss the two-point conversion. Um, I have so much... Uh, Anyway, Stroud, every single time there's adversity, it seems like yeah. dude steps up, right? Broncos are making a comeback. Nope, doesn't matter. Um, they go down and score. But the Broncos kept fighting back. They score to get within five, and then they have a chance for the game-winning drive. And it's Russell Wilson picked off by Jimmy Ward in the end zone to seal the deal for Houston. Yeah, great interception. This is kind of jump ball in the end zone, and Jimmy Ward gets position and makes that play. Um, Sutton had a weird game. Like, he had that incredible touchdown catch from Russell Wilson. He also dropped a dime earlier in the game yep. from Russ. Uh, he had there was that amazing – the second interception from Stingley was an insane catch on a target intended for Sutton where he just beats him to the ball and, and picks it off in front of him. Um, but it's a couple of weeks now where – Sutton has dropped like a really key play in the game after going on a run of like three or four games where he'd made spectacular plays and was like the only thing functioning from a passing standpoint in this Denver offense. He still kind of is, but he's also now dropped some really critical plays over the last couple of weeks. He has. You, um, but yeah, Ru Russ had a couple big throws. He had, they put Sutton inside to, to lead one, uh, the comeback attempt. They put Sutton inside in the slot and ran him up the seam on you know one of the big throws that that russell wilson made so he did drop that first one but he had that big play you mentioned Derek stingley and his interceptions i think that's what four and three games for him he had two in this game one was batted by will anderson the other one was a great play that he just uh um, yeah i don't want to say baited or whatever but he you know came off his uh his zone made a great interception on russell wilson it was so one stingley of those, starting to play yeah it was one of those plays where when the ball is thrown, it doesn't look. It looks like he's beaten, and then he ends up yeah. being able to not even kind of undercut it, but just sort of take the right angle to get to the ball first, and ends up undercutting it in the process. Um, like a really high-level cornerback play, because right up until he makes the play, it doesn't look like he's got any shot. Um, for Denver, again, it was just um, there was a lot of high-leverage plays in this one. They had a fourth and one conversion, Javante Williams. They had Russell Wilson on fourth and two pick it up with a scramble um but houston just held on at the end man it was also a weird game so 
Tank Dell gets hurt. Mm. Let's touch on that quickly, and then we'll talk about Stroud's game. But Tank Dell gets hurt yeah. on a running play, had to be carted off the field. For a touchdown, right? Like it was on yeah. the score. And I kept – I every time they showed the replay, I was trying to work out what the hell Tank Dell is doing there in the first place because it's like a run right up the gut on the goal line. You're like, why is a 165-pound receiver in the pile to get run over in the first place? And I – Pulled up like the all 22, and it still took me two or three attempts to work out why he's there. He's not aligned anywhere near like the teeth of the formation. He's over on the right hand side somewhere, and then like sort of comes in to block a safety or whatever. The safety's already getting blocked by the the wide receiver that's aligned inside of him. So he just kind of keeps going, looking for work. It's actually a really great hustle play by him to kind of keep scraping inside, find a guy that needs blocking actually do the job and taking him out and then just gets driven over by the pile coming in behind him like just such an unfortunate play for tank dell who now broken fibula or whatever is going to miss probably the rest of the season just sucks for him to end his season that way he was you know had this incredible connection with cj stroud but also like plays like this where yeah 90 of wide receivers in the league are not there because they're not that bothered by the play like they're not you know even if they were interested in making the initial block, the second there was a guy already taking that guy, they're like, all right, I'm done. Have fun. I'll see you on the next one, but I'm out of this play. He keeps going looking for work, and that's the thing that ends up getting his leg broken. Yeah, I mean, if um, because again, if, if Houston is able to sneak into the playoffs with the way Stroud has played and developed, the way this defense is, um, they're probably a step above feisty, right? They're not yeah, great they're every good. single week, but they're a step above. You know, you have you have a game where you see Will Anderson, their first round picks, Will Anderson, Derek Stingley making plays. Will Anderson had a ton of pressures in this game. He's awesome against the run. Stingley continues to develop. I mean, they're gonna they're the team that's gonna start peaking at the right time. They've been peaking, but you lose Tank Dell. That's a that is a big loss for this team. Um, so I mentioned C.J. Stroud. He finishes 16 of 27 for 274. So just 16 completions. There was a few games around the league like this. Just 16 completions for 274. Um, Which is 10.2 per attempt. Yeah, 10.2 yards per attempt, but that's, you know, massive. Um, I mean, it's like a college, 16 completions for 274 yards. Nico Collins, Collins finishes with nine for 191. Stroud hit him with a 59-yard bomb early. Um, but Stroud also got sacked five times, fumbled twice in the pocket, probably both avoidable. Um, it did seem like Denver – it's our friend Bobby, the play caller. But mm -hmm. it did seem like Denver, did, uh, especially in the second half, attacked pass protection really well. I don't know if they were player screw-ups or if they were simply pass protection fails. But Denver had unblocked rushers on sacks two or three times. One of them, Stroud fumbled. So Denver did a really nice job creating those negative plays. And I think that's why you look at – Houston was able to create these chunk plays but just – didn't put a ton of points on the board despite those. Yeah, I mean, so early in the game, I thought Denver were just hyper-aggressive. It was almost like, again, you know, these sort of games where it's like you haven't seen that guy before. It's like they went in saying, young quarterback, playing really well, but let's not give him the credit for that. Let's, like, attack him. And they, really early, they had this, like, absolutely suicidal overload blitz where they're just like, we're going to send eight and see what happens, and including the slot corner. And they didn't replace it with anything. It was one of those plays where they send the slot, and normally you see a safety roll over to try and backfill the gap left by the slot. 
They didn't even bother. They just like, let's blitz everything. And Stratton just went, well, if you've blitzed the slot corner and there's nothing replacing him, I'm just going to dink the ball right over the top to the guy in the slot, and he's going to have a free 10, 15 yards. So then Denver seemed to learn from that and go, well, okay, maybe not to let do the suicidal blitzes. In fact, given that we have a pretty useful pass rush, why don't we just rush four and see what happens? And that is how they started to actually get some joy from a pass rushing standpoint. Um, also early in the game, which ends up being arguably the key play, uh, or one of the key plays, um, dropped by, I forget who it was, but like Houston tight end on third and one. Um, that ends up oh, being I the difference. I think that was a miss. Andrew Beck? No, I think he had that. Then, I, thought Stroud, I thought Stroud missed it. He had the, he, the one where he's rolling left, he's open in the flat. For what should have been a touchdown? Let's find out. I don't know if it would have been a touchdown, but it would have converted. It would have won. It would have converted. It's a four-point. He would have had a chance anyway. to get into the end zone. I yeah. think Stroud missed that. Let's find out. I thought it was an interesting game for Stroud because he hit hit some downfield passes. He had another red zone throw that was unbelievable, rolling right and puts it right on Nico Collins' hands, who dropped it. Um, second time in like four weeks that we've seen that from Stroud. But he also missed way more throws than he usually – he has the two fumbles in the pocket. He just – Stroud also missed. He had John Mechie wide open for what yeah. should have been a deep touchdown. He missed that. Stroud just missed more throws than he had been the rest of the year. So, upon further tape review, we're both right. Uh, it's an overthrow that could have been caught. It's an overthrow where he needs to, like, reach back and bat it in the air one-handed, right? Now, once he That's does that – No, no, no. But once he does that, it then lands in both of his hands and he conspires to drop it out of bounds. So it is both a bad throw by Stroud and a drop by Beck. I'd call that just an eventually. Throw. No, you sh- you need to see where it lands in his hands. He needs to catch yeah, that. But only that because he reached back and tipped it. Yeah, but at this point, it's a drop. Like at the point where this happens, he needs to catch the ball and it needs to be a first down. Anyway, that not happening uh, should have been a first down and arguably a touchdown ends up not being. Um. Yeah. So there was. I thought, yeah, Houston missed some opportunities there. I mentioned the deep pass to Mechie. I think that would have been, I don't know how many yards, 40, 50, 60. That would have been a long touchdown. 40, 50, 60. Yeah, it was up there. I don't remember where side of the field it was. I just wrote down the note. Had a wide open Mechie for a touchdown. I remember the play. I don't remember what part of the field it was. If, uh, if the Texans make the playoffs, they will be the first team and they will be the first rookie head coach and quarterback to make the playoffs since. Rookie, head coach, and quarterback. I don't know. Andrew Luck and Chuck Pagano. Oh, 2012. Back in 2012. Kind of feels like that. Yeah. It was like a, you know, bit of a, the Colts were just a volatile Crazy team, team and made some comebacks and Luck, you know, put a lot on his shoulders and, yeah, it kind of feels like that. And then in this week's, uh, in this week's installment of idiotic officiating calls, you had Desmond King robbed of a, was it a fumble six, pick six, strip six? They yeah. ripped it out of a guy's hand. They called uh, P. Ryan. He ripped it out of P. Ryan's hands. Yes. And they blew the whistle for stopping forward progress. In this world where, like last night in Sunday Night Football, Chris is out here calling out how far the rolling mall has moved the play, right? We got three, four, five, six, seven yards. Ah, like. Yeah. Meanwhile, the, the instant P. Ryan is hit by Desmond King, they blow a whistle for halting forward progress and take a touchdown off the board. Yeah, I've, I've said this before. I'll repeat it again. I think the, the problem people have with officiating 
Same problem I have with the uh, college football playoff committee. Idiocy? No, consistency. Oh. It's about consistency. Like if you use certain criteria for one thing, use it for the other thing. Just so that when you see two things that look similar, that you have the, a similar result. This play, again, Desmond King, P. Ryan catches it. It's it's pretty quick. Like it's pretty bang bang. It was like, instant. It was close enough that in your mind you're like, well, in today's NFL, is that incomplete? You know it wasn't, but it was like that close, wasn't it? Like I mean, it was that close that it at least crosses your mind in today's NFL. But this play, this play reminded me of the Germany game, Chiefs Dolphins, the play that ended up deciding the game, where Tyree Kill gets stopped on a screen, gets pushed back a little bit, and then stripped for a fumble six. It was very little. Very little difference from that play. Those are the things that I think at least frustrate me when I see that play and the King P. Ryan play, and I'm like, those look exactly the same. It's either forward progress is stopped or it's a fumble, and it ha- and it should be the same in both. And I think those are those are the frustrating things. And I, look, I know people get frustrated with PFF in our grading, and we have more time than the officials to kind of get things right. But we do that a lot. We're like, here's this play. How did we grade it previously, right? Here's this 15-yard deep out between, you know, in the, you know, in cover against cover two, whatever it is, and you can go back and search all the 15-yard deep outs against cover two and see if there's consistency there. I know the refs don't necessarily have that time like we do, but that's like we focus on. If you see it one way, try to, you know, have the same result when something similar happens. And this was just completely different from what we've seen in the NFL. It should have been a touchdown. Yeah, so it was so early, the whistle that was blown, that it wasn't even conclusive that the play was over. I mean, forget forget the, the fumble part of it. It wasn't even conclusive that P. Ryan was tackled at that point. Like, in fact, he was on his way to shucking off the hit by Desmond King and kind of does so. Like, he actually gets rid of him. It's just that in the process of getting rid of him, he loses the ball and... King is able to scoop the ball and go. But, like, you can't be in this world where the NFL is effectively extending the lifespan of plays at the moment because we're in a world where you can now push a guy from behind and keep the thing alive. So you cannot – like, an early whistle for forward progress being halted is completely inexcusable in today's world of football because so many of these plays now exist beyond that point. To – to accidentally halt a play when it's not even clear that the one-on-one tackle is being made, let alone that there's a fumble at the end of it, is a genuinely egregious call. And in this world of guys are getting fined five figures for making mistakes on the football field, this is the kind of call where whoever blew that whistle should be fined. Like, officials should be held accountable for this kind of mistake because that is a potentially game-changing error by an official and there's no excuse for it i think the only accountability they have is they don't get the big games they don't get they don't get right. playoff I mean, paychecks or who whatever cares? It might be. like that's a pathetic consequence relative to the mistakes other people get yeah so this was um poor old dom's gonna get himself suspended <laughs> i can't wait till we break down dom <laughs> you have any more use for this game it's a great uh, game this was a fun this was a fun game texans got up 17 to Three Broncos, they find out what do they have a five game winning streak? Five game winning streak halted, mm. and um, they fought back though. They were it was close again. Russ made some big time throws, had a couple turnover worthy plays in there, including the game clincher. Nice job by Jimmy Ward. 
And that to me sums up, I, I'm impressed with Houston's defense. I also remember a couple weeks ago, they went all out blitz. Uh, was it against the Saints or a couple times, all out blitz to, to win the game yep. um, in crunch time. They didn't do that in this game. They trusted their front four. They can win in different ways, kind of forced Russ into that uh, forced pass late and picked it off. They've got some playmakers on that side of the ball. Um, so, yeah, man, credit Houston. I love what they've done there. Both sides of the ball, D'Amico Ryans and uh, Nick Casario, right, for all the criticism that we gave him for three years, just kind of treading water because they have the foundation now, right, because they have the quarterback, they've, uh, they're far more competitive than they have been the last couple of years. Yep, just a real shame they lost Tank Dell. Yeah, we're, we're all sad about Tank. Is that it for 1 o'clock? No, I got one more. Detroit Lions 33, New Orleans Saints 28. Lions move to 9-3, and three. Saints fall to 5-7. and seven. Uh, Lions got up really fast, 21 nothing. Yeah. in the first quarter. Ridiculous game. Yes, and then uh, Saints clawed back. It was it was a lot. It was a lot going on here. Saints fans were booing Derek Carr. <laughs> Taysom Hill had a big gain. You know they did the usual bring in Taysom Hill, put Derek Carr back in. They were booing Derek Carr when he came back in. Derek Carr actually ended up playing pretty well, but ends up getting concussed and knocked out of the game. Jameis Winston came in, and this was like the third, fourth quarter comeback attempt we've seen from Jameis Winston this year. None of them have worked. No. Um, but yeah, it was. Um, Credit the Saints for coming back, but yeah, they they fell behind yeah, just too much early it just, on. It made no sense this game. Like you watch the first quarter of this game, and it's like this is going to be an absolute blowout. The Lions' first drive, like dominant rushing performance, just powered down touchdown. Then Derek Carr has an interception where it's like off the hands of his tight end, Juwan Johnson, like yeah. bounces off his hands. Brian Branch picks it off one-handed. One-handed Brian Branch. Uh, and now the Saints are in trouble. The Lions just absolutely carving up the middle of that Saints defense. Like, all the passes were going over the middle, uh, and they're up 21-0. You're like, this is going to be an absolute beatdown. This is annihilation. And then the Lions stopped scoring, and the Saints started clawing their way back and made it really close, and, like, the Lions were worried for a while. Yeah, I mean, it kind of makes sense. The Saints defense shouldn't be that bad. I mean, the, I think it was the touchdown to get up 21-0. Uh, Amon Ra St. Brown over the middle lined up um, he's got Zach Bond on him yeah who's a linebacker yeah. you know and you know former pass rusher from Wisconsin that is a massive mismatch 25 yard touchdown where St. Brown just runs away from him um, so yeah the Lions were really good early there was also a play early on man the Lions are just fascinating it was third and seven on their very first drive or I think just the third play of the game and they just handed off to David Montgomery on third and seven, just run inside zone, and picked it up. Mm. I mean, that was like when they ran on fourth and five, fourth and six a few weeks ago against the Chargers. You don't see that. It wasn't a draw. You know, sometimes you get the old school, ah, I'm going to run a draw, you know, really catch him off guard. This was just like they ran inside zone against a favorable look. That is one of the things I think Ben Johnson does really well with the Lions is adjusting to looks and again you know running when you're expecting pass and passing when you're expecting run then they get into the goal line and they run single back with four tight ends across the board including their extra offensive linemen and you know kind of you know change the blocking scheme around where the saints just completely outmanned and david montgomery walks in for a two-yard touchdown i mean there's just so many of those plays where they're stealing yards by great scheme and execution Detroit's offense so you saw a lot of that 
Jameer Gibbs, 36-yarder to kind of set up that David Montgomery touchdown. So, yeah, the Lions, they had a lot of big plays. Sam Laporta continues to be awesome. Nine catches for 140 for the rookie tight end. Huge game for him. He was uncoverable. They move him all around the formation. Um, just a lot of things to like about that Lions offense. But, yeah, there was a lull in the middle of the game where they weren't moving the ball as much and the Saints were, were crawling back in. Yeah, and the Saints kind of – so the, every time the Saints got into the red zone, they were scoring, which made a difference. Like they, you know, Completely they, different team when they actually score in the red zone. Right. They put themselves in a hole, but they were two for two in the red zone early. Then they got a stop when they were down 10. Like they, they started to make this a game in a pretty quick sequence of plays. Uh, the Lions have to kick a field goal to go up by six. Saints have the ball back. You're like, wow, all the momentum is with the Saints. The Lions just settle for a field goal. Like, they could take the lead. You just drop a momentum line? Yeah. And then the Saints fumble the snap. They lost the momentum. Yeah, lost the momentum. What's the point of having the momentum if you're going to lose it? Snap the ball into their own guard, into their own pulling guard, uh, Lions ball. And honestly, that's the game right there. Like, that play stalls any chance the Saints had of coming back in this thing, gives the Lions the ball. They get that double reverse thing to Jameson Williams touchdown he looked so fast on that play well they, imagine 19 yard run for Jameson Williams it was Raymond that had the ball first right they they like faked the reverse one side with Khalif Raymond speedster a and then flipped yeah. it back to Jameson Williams speedster b imagine being a linebacker for the Saints dealing with that like oh crap fast guy going that way yes. oh no even faster guy going in the other way like forget it Dude, I love it so much. I love so much of the Lions team building effort. We, we talked about the offseason, man. It's like we, we didn't know Sam Laporta would be this good. Right. But he's become a mismatch tight end. I mean, he's on pace to have like <laughs> best rookie tight end season ever. Mismatch tight end Sam Laporta. And we did mention this at draft time. We just didn't know the extreme. Jameer Gibbs, I will reiterate, being used properly. You know, he only had eight carries yesterday, whatever. Um He'll be a part of the pass game when needed. He's a part of the run game when needed. But when he touches the ball, you got to account for that. And then, you know me, in my team building effort, I always want a Khalif Raymond type. And the Lions said, we're going to have two. We're going to have two of those guys. And yeah, try, you know, try covering both when we're running double reverses. Jameson Williams, I was trying to look up his speed. I think he hit 21 miles an hour on that, which is really good for like a – it was a 19-yard run, yeah. but he only had 30 yards. Like most of the big runs, it's like you have 50 right. yards of build-up. Open field, open field for 50 yards, yeah. and that's where you hit the 22. Yeah, because we have access to all that data. But it got filtered out by one of our adjustments or something, so I had to dig it up. I had to dig it up and talk to our data science guys. We have it. Um, but, dude, he hit the Jets, man. That was awesome. Yeah, good luck. Good luck covering the, the Lions and all their speed. So also in this game – like a throwback to 2014 you had bruce Irvin with a sack yeah you then had bruce Irvin knocking Derek carr out of the game because he was tackling like it was 2014 he as did well. he forgot that you can't put all your body weight even though it's not a lot of body weight you can't put all of it on the quarterback well and it wasn't so much that he just put all of his body weight on the quarterback it was like he used his body weight to spear the quarterback into the turf which Whatever about landing on him by mistake with all of your weight, like this was <laughs> actually, you just spear tackled him into the ground. You, you really can't do that. You might get away occasionally with falling on him. You definitely can't drive him into the ground like it's 1998 anymore. You can't do that. Uh, so he gets a penalty on that, on that play. But he did knock the quarterback out of the game. So, you know, cost-benefit analysis, you can argue that was worth it. Anyway, in the same game where Bruce Irvin is like a major factor for the Lions on, as a pass rusher, uh, Jimmy Graham is getting a touchdown. Well, that was what sparked 
the red zone offense for the Saints. Right. You put Jimmy, Jimmy Graham, Graham in there for his six-yard touchdown. Again, I'd, without numbers to back it up, I'm pretty sure the Saints are the worst red zone offense I've ever seen. <laughs> and the numbers aren't great either. I mean, we've, I've, I've highlighted Carr's got the lowest grade or one of the lowest grades in the red zone, and they had multiple games where they got into the red zone five times and scored zero touchdowns or one touchdown. Like, it, it was horrendous. But, yeah, the Saints are a completely different team when they actually score in those scoring opportunities, they just got they just dug themselves a hole in part because they had a drop go into Brian Branch's hands for a pick, much like week one when Branch had, you know, tip drill interception against Mahomes and the Chiefs. So um that part might be encouraging for the Saints. But uh Derek Carr, you know, he finished a seventeen of twenty two for two twenty six. A lot of um big plays in there, throwing the ball down the field to Chris Alave. And um he played pretty well before getting hurt, but he's in concussion protocol, took that big hit that we've talked about a few times here. Then Jameis comes in and has like an insta Jameis Winston play where he throws <laughs> yeah. what should have been an interception, ends up being a, like a big first down to Chris Alave. Uh, was that Alave or A.T. Perry? I thought it was Alave. Yeah. Brian Branch tips it. Take, all the tipping does is take it away from Jerry Jacobs, who was about to intercept it, and then it ends up landing in Chris Alave's hands, who – that's takes it down towards the goal line. Sparked part, sparks the comeback. Right? Yeah. Um, and then the one last thing to mention in this game, right at the end, the Saints are trying to make this comeback. It's third and nine for the Lions. They go play action. Goff is under heavy pressure, like maneuvers around yeah. the pressure, finds Reynolds for a first down. That's the game. Like just a really high-end Jared Goff play in a massive high-leverage situation in unideal circumstances. I am really glad you mentioned that play because I – I mentioned I was I was so impressed by this. What was it like a seven yard gain? Whatever it was, so impressed by that play. And you know, Goff. We coming into the game, we said, look, Goff's coming off his two worst games mm. by far. He went from QB one to like QB ten or twelve or whatever within a couple weeks. Um, but one thing he's been fantastic at is uh, is avoiding sacks for the Lions, especially when under pressure. Fourth best in the league. Uh, as as far as sack rate when under pressure this season. And I thought his pocket movement on that play for just a seven or eight yard gain, whatever it was, was just outstanding. And that was what won it for the Lions. So credit Jared Goff, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that play. Hmm. It was really good. Do I have any other notes? Any other notes in here? Yeah, I got anything on Taysom Hill? Ended up with, they used him a lot. They used him a lot. 13 carries for 59 yards. What was the uh, touchdown? What was the data point where he passed Archie Manning? Oh, he he passed Archie Manning for the most rushing yards for a QB. Ah, that's because he's not QB. What the? I mean, that's just silly. <laughs> he's not a quarterback. Little known fact: Taysom Hill was in Archie Manning's recruiting class. Ah, yeah, yeah. So it took him a lot longer to get there. All right, I think that's it for the one o'clocks. That sound right? Sure. All right. Let's tell you about our friends over at AG1 before we get to the fours. Get all the all those nutrients. Kick my day off with AG1. Where where are they? Where'd they go? Where'd they go? Love it. It's right up there on the screen. Look how good that looks. The daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. We drink it every day here on the PFF NFL podcast. Yeah, it's great. Just chug it right down with my coffee to kick off the day. Get all your nutrients, get all that health. I don't drink enough vegetables, so I need AG1 to supplement my diet. All great athletes, they got one thing in common. They take care of their bodies. 
Huge part of that starts with optimizing whole body health. A lot of them also drink AG1, and that's why I'm a huge fan. With every daily serving, we're setting ourselves up for success with 75 high-quality ingredients that give us the key daily nutrients to support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. It's this micro habit that delivers macro benefits and helps just about everybody take great care of their health every single day. Also love that it costs less than $3 a day. Pretty good, if you ask me. It's a really effective daily habit with high-quality sourced ingredients. A win-win for everybody here on the PFF NFL Podcast. For comprehensive solutions, what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag, the number one, dot com slash PFF. Go check it out right now. To the four o'clocks. To the fours. Let's save a little over an hour left. Mm. Save a lot of time for the Niners and Sunday Night Football, I would say. Sure. So I mean, it's go. not it's not like a uh, it's not like a Bills Eagles game. Yeah, Bills there wasn't Eagles, as much to. We had a lot there, to say. Like, we might be less... done early. Let's we could finish by nine. Wow. What Let's a, finish a half hour what, earlier. What it's a, a it's a lighter week. What a day this would be. We could. Let's see how we do. Tampa Bay Bucks twenty one. Carolina Panthers eighteen. Bucks move to five and seven in second place in the NFC South hmm. with a battle for first place coming up this week against the Falcons. Wow. Panthers fall to one and eleven. A commanding one-game lead for the number one overall pick for the Chicago Bears. Did this loss take Carolina? Did this did this mathematically eliminate them from the playoffs? Because yes, they were heading into this game. First team eliminated from the playoffs. Because right. wildly, despite being on track for the number one overall pick that isn't theirs, uh, they weren't eliminated heading into this game. Not in the NFC South. Yeah, and with an interim and their coach. Way, their their pathway into the playoffs, by the way, was winning the division, not making a wild card spot. Yeah, it's a bad season for the Panthers. They were unable to leverage the interim head coach bump. Mm. I mean, it made it close. Almost made a little it bit did. of a comeback. Uh, Mike Evans, unbelievable game for him. Seven catches for 162. As Carolina, as they tend to do, they Carolina tends to put one drive together where they look like a good offense. So yeah. they put that drive together to make it uh, four, uh, 10 to 7. They took the lead. Yeah. 10 to 7, right? And it's like, oh, man, Tampa, you know, wake up. The Panthers are about to, to beat you. And then uh, first play from scrimmage after the kickoff, Baker Mayfield hit, hits uh, Mike Evans, who takes it 74 yards for the touchdown, 75 yards for the touchdown. It was so th- 74 initially. They overturned it to the 75-yarder. <laughs> okay. Uh, this was another game where there was a lot of rain in it. A lot of rain. It was uh, torrential for a little bit. That's what happens in Florida. Yeah. And I don't know what about him made me think this, but I was like, you know what? Baker just doesn't feel like a quarterback that would do well in the rain. It feels like rain would make Baker especially bad for some reason. What makes you think of that is the entire 2021 season where they played like 12 straight weather That's games right. in Cleveland. They did have a bunch of terrible rain And games. you're like, I can't evaluate Baker Mayfield. There That's, were raindrops in this game. That's what it was. Anyway, Baker was playing like absolute crap in the rain, and then the rain eased off later, later in the game, and we got better Baker Mayfield. Like, what are his first and second half splits? They must be wild. But anyway. Hashtag weather matters. Tiny human Bryce Young was performing better in the wet conditions than Baker Mayfield was, who's just a normal-sized human. Um they Mayfield also, by the way, threw up. He didn't throw up. But he didn't throw up. He threw up an interception that I think completely slipped out of his hand. Yeah. Let me see. Not good. Oh yeah, just completely slipped. He just threw a an arm punch to the safety. So also, it's a wet ball. Poor old Jonathan Mingo, actually making some plays in this game. 
has a great catch early in the game, which they then take call incomplete. Even they challenged it because it was quite clearly a catch. And they're like, no, sorry, it's Mingo. He didn't catch it. Did they say his forearm hit out of bounds or something on that? They had something like that. It felt harsh. I, that was a catch. Uh, so they had that. The Mike Evans thing, he now went over 1,000 yards again, 10th straight year, uh, matches Randy Moss, and now trails only Jerry Rice among all-time receivers with 1,000-yard seasons. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so really he, impressive. I think it's the durability He of passed Evans. Tim Brown and Terrell Owens, who have nine of those seasons. I think Evans has an interesting – I mean, I think he'll end up in the Hall of Fame. But I don't think at any point in Mike Evans' career was he a top – like, what's the peak for – Mike Evans is a top X receiver in the NFL. Well, what Arif Hassan was pointing out is – so he's got now 10 seasons of 1,000 or more yards. Only Jerry Rice has more. Uh, amongst all these wide receivers with a bunch of 1,000-yard seasons, Mike Evans never goes over 1,200 yards. So all these other guys – It's like an arbitrary yeah, cutoff. So he, yeah, so uh, he only has three of those 10 seasons – over 1,200 yards, everyone else. like he, So he's second all-time in 1,000-yard seasons by a wide receiver. But he's like, I don't know how far down that list he went when it was 1,200 yards, but a lot of these other guys have way more 1,200-yard seasons than Mike Evans. He just seems to have this level of, I'm going to get you 1,000 yards a year. Guarantee it. Guaranteed. Book it. But 1,200, like dominant year? No, not so much. Yeah, so that's why, I mean, then there's games like this. Like, the Bucks don't win this game without Mike Evans. Right. Because Chris Godwin was playing hurt, and he didn't have a catch. Um, we've talked all year, but Tampa Bay doesn't have a third wide receiver. So Mike Evans was wide receiver one, two, and three. He had <laughs> 162 of Baker Mayfield's 202 yards. That's 80%. He had about 80% of the, of the passing yards yesterday, and he just took over this game. So that's... To me, that's more the story of Mike Evans' career. The 1,000-yard thing is an arbitrary number that becomes far more arbitrary now that we've added an extra game, Sam. Mm -hmm. And it's easier to pass than it was during Tim Brown and Jerry Rice's eras. But obviously, Mike Evans he gets banged up, but he plays through it. He stays healthy. He's consistent. And he might not have dominant seasons, but he has games like this where he can absolutely dominate and do freaky things, both at the catch point and after the catch. So... Credit Mike Evans. He wins this game for the Bucs. Um, Panthers hung tough. They ran the ball pretty well. Chuba Hubbard had a really nice game. Um, but like I said, they were – I thought the broadcast did a really nice job of showing the picture that Bryce Young was looking at at the top of the drop where there was no separation. No separation and inevitable pressure heading in your direction. Yes. They, he was pressured a ton. The Bucks defense had 29 total pressures. The Panthers' offensive line gave up a ton. Uh, he's he's just under pressure a lot. Did you? What do you make of the number? They had this in the in the broadcast. All nine of Bryce Young's touchdowns this year have come from inside the red zone, and eight of the nine have come from inside the ten yard line. Like they have had nothing. No scores have come from like far away from the goal line. Yeah, they don't create explosive plays. So re remember, I was all the way back to early last year. Baker Mayfield was the starting quarterback for the Panthers. We forgot yeah. this was a Baker revenge game, by the uh. way. He was the starting quarterback for the Panthers. And the offense was actually similar. It was... Cheeks. Very bad, yeah. Cheeks. <laughs> Except they would have like a random screen to LaVisca Chenault for 67 yards. 
Remember how many times that happened? It was kind of like the Steelers offense this year where, you know, 95% of plays seemed bad and then there'd be like a 60-yarder in there. Bryce Young does not get the benefit of the random 60-yarder. You know, poor Bryce Young doesn't have a nice little screen for 50 in there. He doesn't have, you know, a little hitch where a guy, you know, breaks a tackle and picks up 50 after the catch. So they don't have any of those. And he has so few touchdowns. It's like, yeah, all the touchdowns are in the red zone because they don't create big plays. And Bryce Young has like two or three really encouraging plays per game. And he threw a deep out for, to the far hash, put it on a guy's hands, couldn't catch it. Um, they did have they had the one drive. Like I said, they hit a back shoulder, uh, one other big play, ran the ball in. They had one drive where they looked like a good offense. And overall, Hubbard ran the ball pretty well. But then there's always a game for the Panthers. To, uh, there's always a play for the Panthers where it's like, all right, they're in a comeback attempt. It's third and ten. And the Bucks create three free rushers on him. Right. And he's got no chance. Protection breakdown, missing blocks, the whole thing. They don't have answers for blitzes. They don't have it's just bad. It's just yeah. bad offense. That's it. And then you have the fourth and one play at the end that literally ends the game. It was just awful. <laughs> just, they just went gun and drop back past, right? Yeah. And it's like, okay, now there's a rusher. Bryce Young's trying to get out of it doesn't really achieve that in any way shape or form it's not even like there's not that much pressure he just rolls out of the pocket gets himself into trouble because there's now guys in his face and then tries to hit he's late with a cover two hole shot late and because he's he doesn't have the arm to get it there like he's his arm is fine but it's not it's not falling away from the throw i can zip it into a cover two hole strong right yeah so he gets it's just a bad play start to finish like fourth and one got to have a situation and you end up with a low percentage shot that you never had a chance of getting there anyway and it was like that's I mean, it was the Panthers offense in a nutshell essentially um yeah one other thing on Bryce Young so like early Tua career it was like man Tua doesn't have Tua didn't look like he had great velocity and now that Tua is playing extremely well he's doing it with that uber anticipation and throw into space. And I still don't think Tua has a cannon, but he could zip it when he needs to, whatever. I get the same vibes from Bryce Young, but I don't, but I think it coincides with, he's also not seeing it. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's funny because when we evaluate players, you, we talk about skill sets and things that we don't think, um, you know, physical tools that we don't, that are like, that we think are static. But when you're not confident, the ball's not going to come out of your hand that great. I, I sense that from Bryce Young, where he's just a tick late on so much stuff. I think it's that also that the arm looks worse. You know? Yeah, it's also the arm needs to be. I mean, the arm needs to be connected to the brain in terms of understanding what you can and can't do. Like there is a ton of throws that Tua can't make that Josh Allen can. Consequently, Tua doesn't attempt a ton of throws that Josh Allen can make. Right? So those two things have to be connected. Otherwise, it may. Otherwise, it looks way worse than it is. Like Bryce Young's arm isn't great, but it's not bad. It's just he can't make a throw like that, right? Josh Allen could probably get that ball in there, even if you take the exact same set of circumstances to the point where the ball is coming out of his hand, right? Allen is broken, contained from a pocket. He's rolling to the right. There's a guy in his face. He's falling away from it. Allen probably has the arm to still get that ball through the gap, right? Yep. Tua Tua doesn't, and Bryce Young doesn't, but... Tua probably never even attempts that throw. And right now, Bryce Young doesn't know that he can't attempt that throw yet. Now, maybe he will after that attempt. Uh, But, like, that's a relevant part of the arm strength conversation. Of course, a guy with a weaker arm 
can't make a bunch of throws that a guy with a strong arm does. But part of that process is like understanding that and therefore not even taking those shots, right? Figuring out a different way of getting it done or going somewhere else with the football. It's the, like the, the each individual quarterback needs to start developing an understanding of what they can attempt. So, the, yeah, and the, the way Tua came out of what felt like arm issues, he came out of it by winning with anticipation, yeah. which he had shown on film at Alabama. Right. And actually, I don't even think he was so much as anticipatory at Alabama no, he as he would see it and put it on a spot. Yeah. I feel like he would wait, confirm it, kind of like Brady didn't really throw with anticipation a ton. He would confirm and then put it where he wanted. Tua kind of played like that. But that's like a vision thing. I thought that was incredible vision by Tua. Either way, he's using those skills. Bryce Young won at Alabama, I think, through just natural playmaking and feel. And none of like that shows up once a game, maybe. Right. So he's gonna have to win like that, but he's gonna have to he's gonna have to take care of he's gonna have to win with anticipation, maybe not to Tua's level, but at least a little bit more at some point once he has a better offense to play in here. Of the last sort of three significant Alabama quarterbacks, I would say that Tua had the worst anticipation of the three and that Bryce Young had the best in college at Alabama. Yeah. So like right now, obviously Tua has the best of the three by a mile because <laughs> the alternatives are struggling Bryce Young and complete mental collapse uh, Mac Jones. So Tua's throwing with anticipation probably better than any quarterback in the league right now. But in college, in the same offense, Bryce Young was better, I think, than either of the other two. If that, like, if he, if it takes him a while and he gets there, it's still like that's what needs to be his superpower at the next level. One more thing, I just want to highlight for the box: both starting linebackers, Devin White, Levante David, missed the game. Um, so it was JJ Russell and KJ Britt starting at linebacker. Britt lasted only seven snaps. So JJ Russell plays the majority of the game, plays pretty well. They had to put Ryan Neal in the box. They were playing with one linebacker for the majority of the game. I think that was a big part of why the Panthers were able to run the ball a little bit, but the Bucks dealt with some injuries on that side of the ball and battled through, and uh, they're still alive, man. They have they have some tough games, but everything's winnable, I guess, for the Bucks. And I, like I said, battling for first place next week in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, let's go Los Angeles Rams 36 Cleveland Browns 19, much closer game than the score would indicate. Rams pulled away late. They moved to 6-6. Six and six. Browns fall to 7-5. and five. Joe Flacco made his Browns debut. Can't believe Joe Flacco let me down. Who they were up fun. early, man. Yeah. Was, Joe Flacco was cooking early. <laughs> cooking. Yeah. I, it was a very Joe Flacco game, actually, where most of it was okay, and then randomly with like six, seven minutes left, it was just an absolutely absurd heave deep down the field to a safety. You're like, I, what? What is that? I, Joe Flacco seems to have spent his entire career believing that he had like 15 to 20 more yards of arm down the field than he actually had. Like this one, it, it made no sense whatsoever unless he could put 15 more yards of distance on it and then maybe the wide receiver would have been the guy to run under it more than the, the safety or the corner. But as it was, with the arm that he actually possesses, it was just nuts. And that ends up being like a big swing in the game. You could tell Flacco was rusty. Yeah? Early. How could you tell? He has a deep ball. Mm-hmm. And he overthrew it. Oof. I mean, that goes against his, his, the, the strongest right? play of his career. His arm was too rested. Too rested. He had too much... Rest. I mean, I saw some other people tweeting about like Flacco's arm looks good. Yeah. He had too much arm. Lively. Yeah. 
by the way, like at the end of Flacco's starting run with like Denver and everything, his arm did not look good at all <laughs> compared to early in the career. So he was almost too rested because he's the he's the king of the underthrown pass interference. You do not overthrow the deep ball. You're not giving your guy a chance to run into the defender and you know pick up a, a 40, 50 yarder. Mm. So he overthrew the deep ball early on. No, but I mean, look, they they had a busted coverage for a touchdown early. Got mm-hmm. up. Um, Amari Cooper got banged up in this game, and it, it, Flacco started uh, feeding Elijah Moore, former Jets teammate. They did a nice job connecting on a bunch of plays. So it was a close game, man. Browns had a 10-minute drive to start the third quarter but had to settle for a field goal. But then they get up. They they score a touchdown to make it 20-19, to miss the extra point. And that was where you know Rams go up by 8, 27-19. Flacco throws the ill-advised interception to nobody. Yes. And, um, yeah, it was bad after um, that. Miles Garrett was playing in the game, but as we speculated, it didn't look exactly like Miles Garrett. It looked a bit more like a limited version of Miles Garrett. Um, he had a couple plays in there that looked pretty good, but he's going to end up with, like, a couple of pressures from an entire game, which is not how his season has been going otherwise. Um, remember before we talked about this weird difference between like Puka Nakua, no actual measurable of his is good. And yet... Except what? Except his... What did you call that stupid thing? His actual... Whoa. Cut that out of the show. It's not a stupid thing. It's a stupid name. Game athleticism. There you go. His actual like tracking data suggested he was one of the most athletic players in the draft. 99th percentile. There you go. Yes. Uh, and you're like... I, I don't really where is that it doesn't really shoot like you don't see it in the game most there were multiple plays in this game we're like oh you saw it there it is yeah like he catches what like a pass over the middle and then runs away from three different Browns defenders You're like oh that's in-game athleticism showing up yes there's another one later on as well uh whether was that a run it was like an end around or something where he gets the ball and again just accelerates away from a couple of guys You're like there you go yeah doesn't matter what the 40 time is that just showed you he ran – like, the first one as well, it was interesting because I think it was a linebacker, a safety, and a corner. So, you know, theoretically, sort of three different speed levels. And he just powered away from all three of them. Um, sometimes, like, when, when you're watching Puka Nakua at BYU, sometimes we don't have enough time to watch all the film. But if you, if you watch more, you see usage patterns. Like, BYU would give him end-arounds on the goal line and different things. Like, they would feed him the ball – for a guy, when you were watching him, it didn't. He he definitely didn't feel athletic, right? Right. And um, again, I was look. I may have sent some su- suggestions around the league to keep an eye on Puka as a guy that I really liked. And some of the questions were like, "Does he have the quickness? Does he have? Does he have the athleticism? Because it didn't feel like you didn't right. see it and feel it. But I think when the team feeds a guy the ball. They, they understand it. Like, they see him every day, and they might see something. I think there's – sometimes there, I think there's signal in there, right, where it's like well, this, the team is taking this guy who looks like he runs 4-6, right. and they're trying to get the ball in his hands in space. It doesn't make sense on paper, but there might be something there, or our just eyes are lying and deceiving sometimes. Yeah. And that's, so he looked, he looked fast and explosive yesterday. Also um, got banged up a little bit after making that twisting catch, you know, the contortionist once again. But Puka Nakua – Four catches for 105, including that 70-yard touchdown. Two carries for 34 yards as well. Um, I want to highlight Kyron Williams again. He had 88 yards on 21 carries. um, Scored late. He also had a great blitz pickup on that 70-yarder to uh, to Puka. It was also a 
strike by Stafford, who continues to just make big-time throws this year. Um, actually had a good stat line in this one. Stafford, three touchdowns, 110 passer rating. Uh, big plays by Demarcus Robinson in this one from the Rams as well. So they remain uh, in the mix here, man, 6-6. Six and six. And I, I keep going back to that Green Bay game, man. Rams versus Packers a few weeks back where Stafford missed the game. That might come back and, and haunt the Rams if they don't make the playoffs. Tyron Williams had his first seven carries into a loaded box in this game. <laughs> He'd never, literally never, carried the ball into a loaded box so far in his Rams career. Well, that's what the Browns do. Well, and late in the game when the Browns, you know, were trying to stop the Rams winning, uh, they obviously were loading the box, and he ran not tremendously successfully against those uh, bloody. He did force three missed tackles and get a couple first downs, which were key. Um, This game felt like, are, are the Browns' defense becoming a victim of their own success to a certain degree? They have been so good and so aggressive and so um, kind of positive EPA on defense-like. Like, they cause so many negative plays. Are they actually reaching the point now where their aggression is getting taken advantage of with these, like, end-arounds and jet sweeps and anything with misdirection seems to now be causing them an unusual degree of trauma because they're so aggressive at whatever the first thing they see is. I'd have to look at it. I I might be a victim of my own thing I hate, which is the highlight reel test. But I, it it does feel like the Browns have given up a lot of explosives this year. But they the EPA per play has been so good right. because they're creating so many negatives. It does feel a little volatile. And I don't know if it's because I always have the Niners game that I had to, you know, answer some questions about the Niners game where Brock Purdy missed a bunch of throws and it felt like there was a lot of plays left on the table the Colts hit those explosives the next week this is one of those games too like they've given up they gave up a 70 yarder to Pittsburgh earlier this year they gave up this 70 yarder to Puka I think it's just the nature of they play a lot more man coverage and they are aggressive and in and around the line of scrimmage and there are big plays to be made against the Browns but but it, it's team defense, right? So, like, you might have a busted coverage on the back end, but if you're getting pressure, which the Browns have done a great job of this year, QB can't hit it or they're late to it or they're getting hit while throwing or whatever it might be. Um, I think it's just a volatile defense right now where you can have a game where you give up some explosives or you could have a game where everything's working in tandem, you're, you're creating um, – man coverage is, is tighter – you're creating tighter windows and and you have dominant performances. I think that's just where we are with the Browns defense right now. Yeah, I just Is that an answer? Is that a good answer? It's an answer. Um it it just feels at the moment like they are teams are starting to figure out how to take advantage of how aggressive they're being. Like that any kind of disguise or misdirection or trickery seems to be causing them an undue amount of problems for a defense as good as they are. Yeah. Um so I thought Man, it, I did have a lot of Flacco uh, flashbacks here. You know, Flacco flashbacks. I mean, there was just so many plays with the Ravens where he would just neglect to care about a safety or neglect to care about certain defenders. And it's like those were two or three mistakes a game, you know, that it's like, man, he just if you just took those out. And it felt like Flacco was going to play at this point in his career, had a chance to play a cleaner brand of football. Than say DTR or PJ Walker. Well, that was the thing last year with the Jets, right? It's like, yeah, Flacco was actually able to rack up quite a large uh, amount of yardage and you know production, but 
he could never get rid of the crazy, ridiculous plays that were like, what are you doing? Like, and, what, and for all, like, this was a 20, again, they missed an extra point. Yeah. It was a 20 to 19 game. So at the end of the day, you're like, oh, the, you know, the uh, Browns gave up 36. Well, they didn't really, right? It was in the fourth quarter, Flacco throws a pick, and I'm sorry, the Rams got up 27 to 19, then Flacco throws a pick. They give up another quick touchdown. There's a sack for a safety in there, by the way. Aaron Donald's just bench pressing Joel Petonio. Donald's um, a beast. Yes. I mean, it wasn't that bad by the Browns' defense, but it's like if Flacco isn't turning the ball over. But that one, like, it it's that better. one ridiculous play. Like, that just, interception. Yeah, it was one horrendous. Play. It's insane. It's insane. And it was massively high leverage and hugely determining in the, the outcome of this game. Like, he just throws a truly ridiculous pass that had no business being put in the air at any point. Like, he's throwing at a guy, bracket covered, deep down the field, and it doesn't get close to being anywhere near him. Yeah. Oh, that was when – sorry. Yeah, so I had it right in my head. It was when it was a 20-19 to 19 game. Yeah. And that was what put the Rams that up That play eight. was like the game. Yes. Now, so, maybe the problem was Elijah Moore is not familiar with the Joe Flacco because Elijah, like, the ball's put in the air – and his initial reaction is to kind of keep running, you know, deep down the field, and then has to turn himself inside and look for it. And it's like, oh, this is... But this is where it doesn't make sense. Elijah Moore's running a corner. Flacco's throwing it more up the seam. Yeah, but it's a, it's about it's a clear out. I mean, it looks like... But the point uh, being, a, a wide receiver that had a deep-rooted familiarity with Joe Flacco's game would understand that the second that ball is in the air, my job now is to stop running downfield, turn and start heading back towards the quarterback ah. and therefore draw the pass interference play. <laughs> Run into the defender. Like Flacco simply put the patented underthrown pass interference ball in the air, but that requires the wider receiver. Like we have underestimated the skill set of Torrey Smith down the years, True. whose job was to just find the nearest DB and run into him. Tor Torrey had a unique skill set, though. He was, he was fast enough to get behind the DB. So you have to stack the defensive back so you can run back into him. Well, That's no, you, you just, I mean. All right, let's just end it. Elijah I got no Moore, more use for this game. Elijah Moore here is beyond a DB. He just neglected to find a guy and run into him. Like if he'd turned, True. ran into the safety and fallen over, flag, great play, Joe Flacco. Still got it, baby. Let's go to the game of the week that wasn't. Game of the week that wasn't. 49ers, 42. Philadelphia Eagles, 19. Mm. Niners move to 9-3. and three. Eagles fall to 10-2. and two. A dominant performance by the Niners on the road against the Eagles. And it started so well for Philadelphia. Yeah, I got to admit, I, was, I didn't see this one coming. Because, I mean, I, was, I think I picked the Eagles. I was surprised that they were home underdogs here. And uh, the Niners just took it to them. Yeah. And there's reasons. I mean, I thought the 49ers would win. And I, I thought their punch is better than the, the Eagles' best punch. I didn't think they would destroy them. Um, like, the start of the game. So, play number one. Philadelphia get a 38-yard slant and, and run by A.J. Brown. Um, they got a couple of field goals early. They stopped the 49ers early. So it's like, all right, initially early returns were favorable for Philadelphia, not so much by the 49ers. And then from that point on, the 49ers offense started moving, and then the Eagles didn't stop them for the rest of the game, like at all. Yeah, And that, I mean— the Eagles gave some punches back, but it wasn't enough because they couldn't stop. Like, the, every punch they gave, they were getting two in return, and they, they, you can't win like that. So I've got the 
tweeted it out earlier. Crazy stat of the weekend. The Niners did not attempt to pass longer than 15 yards down the field. 15 was the max. Yet they averaged 11.6 yards per attempt and 16.5 yards per completion without even attempting a pass more than 15 yards down the field. And this is not a negative on Brock Purdy. I'm not using this as a negative. I'm using it as a positive for the totality of this offense. All of it was just unbelievable. I thought Purdy had a few huge plays in there. Again, there was a third and seven pass to Brandon Ayuk where he hits a far hash deep out to just convert a third and seven. It's like an eight-yard pass, 10-yard, whatever it was. Just it was far hash, by the way, too, in the NFL. The hash marks matter, not like they do in college, but it matters. And he puts the ball pinpoint. And it was a great job by Ayuk. We always talk – I talk a lot about QB-friendly routes. Great route by Ayuk to come back to it. And then the next play, 48-yarder to Debo Samuel over the middle. So it was that type of thing, right? The, the Eagles can't get off the field on third down, or the Niners make a great play on third down. And those were the big plays by Purdy, thrown with, with anticipation, accuracy, keeping the drive alive. And then you throw like a little five-yard pass to Debo Samuel where he just outruns the whole defense for 48. You know, so look, Brock Purdy's 19 for 27, 314-yard, four-touchdown, no-pick stat line in isolation is inflated. Right, he had Debo take a five-yarder, forty-eight. He had Debo. What was the other? Were, were they both forty-eight? He had the screen pass for forty-six. Right, obviously those are going to make Purdy's stats. Sixty-eight percent of his yards came after the after the catch. But my point is, Pur like Purdy hitting a third and seven pinpoint pass to Ayuk earned him the right to throw a little, you know, five-yard pass to Debo to turn it into forty-eight. That is the stress that the Niners' offense puts on defenses. The poor Eagles linebackers. Zach Cunningham hurt. Christian Ellis in there. I think it was his first career start. Nicholas Morrow. They had a rough outing. Trying to cover Debo Samuel over the middle. Trying to cover Christian McCaffrey on a wheel route. You know, for 33-yarder. Those poor linebackers when you're facing the Shanahan offense. So it was just a masterclass once again by all of them. By Shanahan. By Brock Purdy. And then all the playmakers that the Niners had. Yeah, I mean, their their offense looked, once it got going after that first couple of drives, they were absolutely dominant. Um, and then their defense did enough to ensure the Eagles couldn't keep pace in like an absurd, you know, 40-plus point back-and-forth game. And uh, e even though the Eagles, you know, they controlled the first quarter, um, they had to settle for two field goals. That ended up obviously being huge. They're up only 6 nothing. Um, and then the Niners come back with two touchdowns. They're up 14 to six. They get up 21 to six. I mean, the Eagles, the Eagles being down 14 to six at the half, it was like, ah, eh, this happens all the time, right? The Eagles have been, uh, Jalen Hurts had won, and the Eagles had won how many straight games being down 10? Yeah, four. Maybe more than that. They'd won, or they'd, there was some number, they'd won like four straight games from being down at the half or something, and no one had ever made it five. So even just being down 10, they had kept winning five or six in a right. row with Hurt, you know, Hurts and the Eagles. But, um, but they couldn't make this comeback. They tried. They got it, they got it to 21 to 13. Um, but that was, where, that was where I think the biggest play of the game was Purdy hitting a third and seven to Brandon Ayuk because that, the next play was Debo for 48 to put them up two scores, and they just ran away with it from there. Um, so, yeah, I think in isolation, it's fair to say, did, did Brock Purdy himself play at a 148.8 passer rating level? I don't think so. But he had a key scramble to keep drives alive. He had the third and seven. He, 
he just runs the offense extremely well, gets the ball into the into Debo and McCaffrey's hands and Kittle, and those guys just make big plays, man. He was only sanked uh, three times, but Jalen Hurts was under pressure 31 dropbacks in this game. Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> That's got to be like the highest figure. I'm going to have to run numbers and find out how – long you need to go back before you can find a quarterback that was under pressure more dropbacks than that in a single game that's a crazy number i mean that was what's the two, it, two even early have... in the game it felt like that by the way like every time you looked up it's like jalen hurts is running around back there under pressure and then maybe the ball's finding somebody maybe it isn't maybe he's running for something but like he's running around away from 49ers pass rushers even when they're executing those field goal drives early in the game part of it's just that I feel like all year he's just been kind of like there are some dropbacks where he's just sitting at nine or ten yards. He's been doing that all year and almost inviting pressure. And the Niners were trying to compress the pocket and kind of keep him in. And then he'd, I don't know, man. It was a good battle. Like Nick Bosa versus Lane Johnson, hmm. legit heavyweight battle. Bosa um, got, he created some space with bull rushes a few times, got by Lane Johnson a few times. That was a great battle. Um, I mean, there's some really good matchups in this one. But, yeah, it, it did feel like what – I kept using the word lethargic for the Eagles offense throughout this season. It just felt like a lot of that just caught up to them. With they, they'd have like a slow drop back, slow developing plays, and they just hit a, a downfield pass that just wasn't there in this game, where in previous uh, weeks they were able to hit those and, and make their comebacks. But um, Niners did a great job, man, both sides of the ball. They now have two of the most impressive single wins in the season. Like, they have absolutely stomped Dallas is, and now pretty much beat down um, Philadelphia as well. This is a nightmare for power rankings. Yeah. Because the Eagles are 10-2. and two. They're still a game better than anybody else in the NFL. They're 10-2. and two, But they just got stomped by the, by the Niners on the road. And as you said, the Niners have – they get the best wins, man. So it's a nightmare for power rankers. Or who, the committee or the committee, because you have to battle record, which is the default, with recency bias. I mean, that it's, it's a lot to battle here when you're putting power rankings together. Yeah, I mean, in this world as well, where you're like, you know, MVP, who's the most important player? I mean, the wit without the Debo Samuel factor is starting to become, like everyone's saying, is Christian McCaffrey MVP? I mean, is Christian McCaffrey even the most important player that the 49ers have? When they don't have Debo, it doesn't look the same. When they do have Debo, they appear to be unstoppable. But I, I said this back when they, when they traded for McCaffrey, right? Like, in isolation, it's in our contract, Sam, yeah. to be completely against any sort of linebacker, I mean, running back acquisition that involves any sort of value, Right. But the point I made at the time was, similar to my Jameer Gibbs point, this is a bad move if the Niners go out of their way to make sure that Christian McCaffrey has 30 carries and 10 catches every week. It is a great move if Christian McCaffrey becomes the fourth option in this offense behind Debo and Ayuk and Kittle, and then there's McCaffrey. And that fluctuates week to week depending on matchups. And there'll be some games where Christian McCaffrey's uncoverable by opposing linebackers and he's going to have a huge game. And then there's other games, like, again, I say this every single week. Like, I, it doesn't matter about the stat line. This was a Debo game. You're going to put Debo in space against the Eagles, make them, and they couldn't tackle him. It was a McCaffrey game as well. I mean, they all make this offense tick. 
Um, it's probably oversimplified to say, yeah, when they didn't have Debo and Trent Williams, it all disappeared. But Debo does make defenses play differently, right? McCaffrey's still a running back first, and you know he's a running back. And Debo Samuel does make defenses rethink how they align because you don't know where he's going to be. Putting receivers, we said this for years, man, putting receivers into the backfield breaks defenses. Mm -hmm. Debo Samuel has that ability, and it makes the defense think. And that's just another added weapon for Tin Cup, Cal Shanahan, to put his players in space. So, yeah, maybe Debo is the catalyst, but it is just all of those puzzle pieces work together. I also I felt like the 49ers just had a better handle on what Philadelphia do than other teams. Like, remember that play – the the quarterback draw against Buffalo where all the Eagles players are like, we couldn't believe the Bills gave us that look because we run this all the time and that's like the worst possible play to line up against it with, right? Like the the Bills went like man coverage, roll the safety away, and Jalen Hurts just had a wide open run. They did exactly the same thing in the, in the similar kind of spot. In the red zone, they ran the same QB draw play and instead of <clears throat> nobody in that general area there was like three guys all over Jalen Hurts at the line of scrimmage, let alone five yards deep into the defense. Like they were all over that. And for most of the most of the game, they were all over it. Like the only thing that didn't that the 49ers didn't have a tremendously good answer for was the push play, which remains unstoppable. Um, and yeah, the Niners won up front, both sides of the ball. We'll also say, remember we said um it's not even English. Before the game, we talked about the Niners' pass blocking grades not being great. They were better in this game, especially against a good Eagles pass rush. The Eagles pass rush has shown you know, some weakness this year compared to previous years. Less dominance, we'll say, compared to previous years. And then, look, it all just kind of caught up. I also wonder how much the Eagles, in the middle of the schedule, against all these tough games over and over and over again, are they just... Did they just run out of steam in this one? Because they got Dallas again next week. Yeah. So how important do you think this game was psychologically for either side? Because this was a game, there was a lot of kind of pregame talk from both sides, right? The the 49ers were pissed off because they got to the NFC title game and then lost all their quarterbacks. And, you know, just they, they felt like they got kind of cheated from that game, right? They didn't have a fair shot at actually competing and going to a Super Bowl. The Eagles are like, ah, oh, stop your whinging. This is football. We beat you fair and square. You know, deal with it, right? And then, so this had been building for a while. Even pregame, like the 49ers are doing those things of like running through DB drills and stuff, you know, just deliberately provoking the opposition. Kind of thing where when you do it and you win, it's great. He's like, ah, we kind of needled them before the game and we won. Like we came into your house, pissed all over the carpets, and then won. What are you going to do about it? So the 49ers must feel outstanding. Meanwhile, the Eagles are on the receiving end of that. They they got, the 49ers came into their house, disrespected them, and then beat them down and left. Before we talk about Dom, because we got to talk about Dom. Uh -huh. I think the psychological aspect means something. I mean, but at the same time, it's football. And we've seen teams win blowouts and then lose in rematches. Like, we've seen that stuff happen. I think even bigger than this was how, how, many, how many times does Kyle Shanahan have a matchup and you see that he has a good matchup and you're like man it's a good matchup for Kyle Shanahan he knows how to exploit this defense I think we learned that he knows how to exploit this Eagles defense and the Eagles team building strategy which I think is a good one build through the trenches and pass rush and everything and they kind of neglect linebacker right it's kind of an afterthought 
in the middle of the field. They don't spend a lot on linebackers and safeties. They're also all hurt. I, I get it. But that's also part of their team-building strategy as well. So even when Zach Cunningham's out there and their guys are out there, I wonder how much Shanahan's offense, they, he attacks those lower-value positions like crazy and puts them in a bind. I wonder if, you're, if you want to beat the Niners in the NFC, how much you should actually be trying to invest through the middle where all of the data might say not to. To me, that's what I learned about this game is Shanahan's offense knows how to exploit this Eagles defense. I know they had injuries, but if there's a rematch, I don't think it's the psychological aspect. I think it's, I don't know if the Eagles are going to have the answers to stop. Yeah, they might not have, offense. but even like, I mean, even Zach Cunningham is like a backup. Like, N'Kobe Dean is the guy who's supposed to be manning the middle of this defense, and he's been injured for almost the entire year. Zach Cunningham is a guy who was a very one-dimensional linebacker that was signed as like a backup plan heading into the season anyway. And now he's down, and you're down to the sort of third-string linebacker solution against a, an offense that deliberately targets linebackers and puts them in a blender anyway. Like, it was a nightmare scenario from that perspective. I don't think... Like, yes, the Eagles deliberately focus less on linebacker than other positions, but when you're focusing less on linebacker and then you're forced into the third string, that's non-workable. Like, that's a complete and total disaster. I think that would be different if they had their intended starters this year. And then the other thing to touch on before we move on, Dom. The double it. ejection. Got ejected, as did uh, Dre Greenlaw. Yeah. Dom, who apparently is like a uh, cult hero figure in Philadelphia. Yes. Who I'd never heard of before Everybody this. in Philadelphia apparently loves Dom. Loves Dom. Mm -hmm. Knows Dom. He's got his own highlight reel. <laughs> and here's the thing. I saw his highlight reel on Twitter. Yeah. And it's, um, it's not extensive. Okay. Right? So the person who put the highlight reel together, it's like, here's Dom, you know, walking out with Nick Sirianni. Here he is talking to somebody. Like, there's not a lot there. And it reminds me a little bit of Nandi Asamoah, where there's not a lot of highlights on Nandi's tape because okay. nobody threw his way. Yeah. So nobody goes after Dom. He is the head of security in Philadelphia. Dom DeSandro. So he, he's the head of security and something like special advisor to the general manager. Now, that combination just <laughs> strikes me as quite interesting, right? <laughs> it feels a lot like, you know, you're in this world of what would a billionaire do, right? You just, you meet a guy like Dom, who knows where, right? And he's my, he's my guy. He, Dom does, Dom has a certain set of skills that I, can, that I need on occasion. And so I'm going to put him on the payroll, down on the sideline, and he's just going to take care of things, you know? Yeah. I mean, the Eagles, if you look at their staffing, they have some unique roles, Philly. They're very well staffed up, the coaching staff, and they've got, they have, um, they have people in charge of very specific things, I'll just say. And Dom, as you said, specific set of skills mm. that they take advantage of. They do. And he, um, he was involved in perhaps getting Dre Greenlaw ejected. So Dre Greenlaw kind of body slams Devontae Smith to the ground on the sideline. And as tends to happen when that occurs, the Eagles sideline got quite upset and got in Dre Greenlaw's face. And, you know, there was some words exchanged. And in the middle of the melee was Dom. And then in reaction to that, Dre Greenlaw sort of throws up his hand pointing at Devontae Smith, but threw it in such a way that it grazed Don's chin. And that was enough to get Dre Greenlaw ejected. Yeah. 
And then apparently they just decided that, well, Dom's presence in the whole scenario should be enough to get him kicked out of the game as well. So they turfed Dom from the game at the same time, which got him a standing O from the link. Yes. Uh, only adding to his cult hero status. But now it sounds like the NFL's reaction to this is going to be, what the hell was Dom doing in this in the first place? We're going to have to punish the Eagles. My prediction stands from yesterday. I think by the end of the week, we will hear Dom's side of the story, either with uh, a pardon my take, or as my uh, followers mentioned, might be McAfee. McAfee. Somebody's going to get Dom. That crazy Chargers lady from Sunday night or Monday night football or whatever it was, was on McAfee the next day, I yeah. think. You know they were working the phones. Now right. the Eagles, because he's a special assistant Dom's to the not GM. Speak out. Oh, no, he doesn't. He's not going to rat anybody no, out. Dom's no, Dom. not, Dom's not a rat. Dom, you, Dom, you, you, you think Dom's you say connect, nothing. You think Dom's connected with the DeVito family? I, I'm not saying anything. I'm just saying that Dom's not the kind of person that when the phone rings, Dom doesn't answer. He's got an Italian flag like on his right. security jacket. That guy's not talking to the media. He must be torn when they play the Giants in a couple weeks with, with DeVito. With Tommy? Yeah. Yeah. You know they... I am, got to some connections there. I'm kind of fascinated. I, I mean, we were speculating. I, this is the reason that uh, that I think the league or whatever is going to crack down on this is that, like, if this is a thing, that uh, your version of Dom on the sideline can just start jawing with the with the opposition's best players and get them turfed in the game. Yeah, it's like, not a great precedent. I will take a good. I will take the trade right of you lose Aaron Donald and I lose like Jim from accountancy. Right? <laughs> call it call it even. Seems fair to me. I would like, if I was uh, the Raiders, right? Al Davis would have a whole staff of these people just be like, hey, yeah. this guy comes anywhere near the sideline. Just run out and boot him in the ass. You want the get-back coach to double as an instigator. Yes. Basically. Like, just start fights with the opposing players. You'll both get ejected, and we'll be better off because of that. So I'm sure that's the reason that if, if a punishment is handed down from on high to Dom, it's because of that. That being said, it does strike me as a kind of... The NFL is weird about how they handle and react to player fights. They, like, nobody is allowed to get involved in this except officials who are not only allowed to get involved but are actively encouraged to dive balls deep into the fracas and, like, drag players away from the pile to the point where they get, like, slapped backhanded to be like, get the hell off me, I'm, in, I'm busy here, Right. It's just this weird, like, Dom is essentially standing there with everybody else on the sideline and starts telling Dre Greenlaw not to be an asshole by body slamming a wide receiver and gets, you know, Greenlaw's hand pushed in his face. And apparently this is like egregious violation of protocol by Dom. Once again, the crack research staff, Ben Stockwell, bringing even more evidence to light here about oh, Dom's involvement in the game. Yeah. He caught a pass yesterday as well. Caught a pass? Yeah. Jalen Hurts rolling out second quarter along the sideline, throws it away right to Dom's hands. It's unbelievable. Did this make the rounds on Twitter? Where'd you find this, Ben? Can we tweet this out? No, we're not allowed to, but what a beautiful <laughs> catch by Dom. What a game for Dom. All right. We said we were going to finish big, by 930, and we're, we're up against it. Big game for Dom's uh, profile. Oh, yeah. Book deal incoming. T-shirts stuff here, but it's about the Niners, man. Forty-two to nineteen, dominant win, and they'll be uh, they'll be number one in all the power rankings this week. I think. I think they're gonna they're gonna overcome being a game behind the Eagles. But I'll say this: Look, Eagles Cowboys in Dallas next week. This is huge for the Niners, maybe having that home game. 
yeah. in the in the playoffs if they and like again. you know it's legit that when you when you think about it, so if they went in a three game losing skid and that took them out of like everybody's power rankings but those were three games where they were without you know two of their most important players and when those guys have been in the lineup whether it's as simple as Debo in equals greatness or whatever when everybody's there this team looks unstoppable they do all right let's wrap it up Sunday night football Green Bay Packers 27 Kansas City Chiefs 19 wow Packers move to six and six Chiefs fall to eight and four I would like to declare the Packers the first team maybe there were others Maybe I missed it. But week 13 is when you usually start feeling. Once you get into December, you get the phrase, you don't want to see this team in the playoffs. You don't want to run in to Team X in the playoffs. That is now the Green Bay Packers because that offense was absolutely cooking last night. Unbelievable game. Again, Jordan Love, Matt LaFleur, a great game by him too. All the misdirection, the run game, the pass game. The aggressiveness and however that fourth and one pass snuck through there. A lot of stuff to unpack in this game. Unfortunately, everybody's going to be talking about the officiating from the last minute of the game. There was three to five blown calls in the last minute of the game. I mean that. That are going to be the focus of the attention here. (laughs) A lot more happened in that game than just the last minute. We'll have to talk about that as well. But what is your initial takeaway from from this one? There was a lot of of weird stuff in this game, Sam. Yeah. I mean that no pass interference call on... Marquez Valdez Scantling on that final drive was insanity. But the Mahomes, but the Mahomes one was, I think, worse because that triggered the makeup call. And we we posed this question last the week. The hit out of bounds. Yes, Patrick Mahomes runs ten yards. Both feet are inbounds. But that so that's he gets only popped. That's only bad because they've rolled back on it this year. Like uh, Terry. Terry McCauley, their rules analyst in the booth, actually confirmed what I've been saying for a couple of weeks, which is clearly the NFL has deliberately rolled back this. Because that, the hit that was on Mahomes yesterday. Now, was he technically in bounds? Sure. Were they calling that for like the last five years? Absolutely. That's been the kind of hit that if you were even vaguely near the sideline and it was on a quarterback, you were getting popped for 15 yards, roughing the passer or late hit out of bounds, whatever the, the actual call is there. They've been calling that. And then this year, they've deliberately pushed back on that and saying, hey, if the guy's in bounds, you can't call it a late hit, even if he's like part of him is over the sideline. Like, let's actually call this properly. And then this one is like a jump back to what they were calling for years ago. So this this would have been bad before they were emphasizing. No, it wouldn't. It, though. He wasn't not, not a honestly, He wasn't halfway out. This of bounds. is the kind of hit that if this was called two years ago, no one would bat an eyelid. They'd be like, "Of course that's hit. That's the late hit, and a quarterback can't do that anymore." Now this year, it's incongruous with the way the, the, those hits are being called again. But it's only because they pushed back on that play. So because this happened, and the flag came in late, and then they talked about it, and this is what drives me crazy. They're talking about it. They're connected to New York. Somebody can drive, like the director of common sense can step in and say, don't make this call. And to me, this is what triggered the whole thing. If they pick up that flag, and then, so it's a free 15 yards for the Chiefs. Then Mahomes throws it deep to Valdez-Scantling. It should have been a 48-yard or whatever pass interference. And I don't know if this is on purpose or if it's just human nature. 
and you know you screwed up the last one, and then there's a makeup call. But this is the one where where the guy in New York needs to be in the ear and say, dude, throw a flag. Like, you missed it. That's clear as day. Yeah, but the guy in New York's probably like, well, we screwed up the Mahomes one. I don't want to do – then we're going to have back-to-back – this is going to look really fixed when – because they're, they're – It looks less fixed than, hashtag- like, swinging back in the other direction and going, nah, I don't care. He can tackle him. It's cool. No, because when hash- – like, you can't say hashtag rigged. Everybody's saying this thing's rigged. The NFL's rigged. It's not rigged. It's just bad. You can't. It's not. Who's it rigged for? Now, if you had, if the if Mahomes and the Chiefs moved the ball seventy-five yards on a bad, on a bad no, uh, no call or bad uh, late hit call, and then a pass interference, even if it was real, only one of those that's going to look worse. Only one of those would be bad. And, I get it. And that one isn't even that bad. I, I thought it was horrendous. No. I thought it was absolutely horrendous. It's he only was in the playing field. So anyway, and then, and then, so then there's a the pass interference that they missed, and I'm just, I'm just curious if it's like on purpose or whatever. And then, and then it was like it's the Chiefs' turn for a call. So Mahomes hits Marquez Valdez Scantling along the sideline. The rule is if you run out of bounds, you have to be moving laterally or forward when you run out of bounds for the clock to stop. Well, Valdez Scantling starts retreating backwards. You know, they do this so that you can't just like run 70 yards backwards and run out of bounds and stop the clock when you're trying to run, you know, the clock out in the game. Valdez Scaling is retreating to try to stop the clock. They say it's stopped clock. And then I think the least egregious out of all of it is the Hail Mary. There was a push in Kelsey's back yeah, on the, the final Hail play Mary. on the Hail Mary because they get away. I, I know that there's been other Hail Mary calls in the past, but there's always there's always stuff. The Hail Mary is Hail in Mary. the category of, yes, it's probably pass interference, but no, they're never going to call it because it's a Hail Mary. Like, it's one of those plays that should be called all the time but isn't. So there's no point looking for it now. Like, it doesn't make a lot. You, could, you can find that exact play in pretty much every single Hail Mary that's ever been run, right? Somebody's going to get shoved in the back, and it's never called. Like, yeah. every now and again, it's going to get called. It's, you know, it's just one of those plays. I don't think there's any point in looking at that one. But the... The Valdez Scantling one was ridiculous as a no call. So I want to back up and talk about the football here. I, when you're, I know the Chiefs' offense is not nearly as explosive as it has been in the past, but the times that they've lost, or the times when it, the the Packers played it perfectly, the first half had five total possessions. Green Bay had three of them, so the Chiefs really only had two possessions. They also took a knee on their third possession, so they really only had two possessions. Um, they got into the tight red zone both times. The um, in the in the Packers held them to field goals. They actually sacked Mahomes a couple times on third down. Very rare. So Green Bay is playing this perfectly. Um, part of playing it perfectly is executing it perfectly. It's not just stylistically. They had that you know run game that's going to pick up three, four, five yards, grind it out. But Jordan Love was just not missing early on. He was unbelievable. Um, and Lafleur did a great job, as I mentioned earlier, misdirection. Uh, scheming it up, putting the Chiefs' defense in a bind. Chiefs were kept losing defensive players as well. Um, but, man, the Packers played a near-perfect game offensively for how to slow down the Chiefs by keeping the ball away from Mahomes. Um, the only thing they screwed up, I think, the Packers was right before the half. They were they were into field goal range and then fell out of field goal range, and they probably left three points on the table. But other than that, the Packers' offense was so good and efficient and part of the reason why the Chiefs only scored 19 points was because the Packers, I mean, held them to eight possessions. A lot of times teams have 10, 11 possessions in a game. The Chiefs had eight legitimate possessions in this game. 
Yeah, and Jordan Love. So we talked before about how, you know, quarterbacks have improved accuracy in the past, but it, it generally hasn't been like with the flip of a switch. The last like three or four weeks, Jordan Love has just discovered ball location. He's gone from being one of the least accurate quarterbacks in the league in terms of putting the ball where he actually wants it, regardless of whether it's caught or not, to now the guy every pass he attempts in the last few weeks has been like right on the money. For like the third week in a row at least, he's been he was dead on in this game with accuracy for the most part. His, you know, adjusted completion rate is extremely high. He's not making the mistakes. He's now making a consistent level of big throws throughout the course of the game. I I can't think ever of a player that's made that kind of change literally in an instant. Like just randomly throughout the season, he went, you know what, I'm not gonna miss throws anymore. I'm just gonna put the ball where I want it to go. One of the old questions as a you know former pro athlete, does uh, does success breed confidence or does confidence breed success? And it's you can see it in Jordan Love. Like he is playing, as I mentioned yesterday, in Hall of Fame level confidence. So the back-to-back plays, there were also huge turning points in this game. And we've seen this so many times with teams trying to trying to upset the Chiefs. They were six-point underdogs. And you're playing hard. You're playing hard. We saw it with the Raiders a couple weeks ago. You have to make so many good plays to keep the Chiefs at bay. And the Packers, it looked like, yeah, they might lose it. They might lose it. They got up early, but it's it's 21 to 19 now. You know, the Packers are not going to – I'm sorry, it was 14 – Oh, it was 14 to 12 at the time before this. Packers go for it on fourth and one. They get into the gun and just go drop back pass, which I know you hate on fourth and one. They do everything that you that teams have failed at mm-hmm. the last few weeks. Fourth and one, gun, chuck it downfield. And Jordan Love throws the the moon ball that just drops somehow into Romeo Dobbs. Such a bizarre play. That, that ball was it, it looked like a Hail Mary level of air under the ball and it's like well that's not going to work and then it just lands in his hands that play was so funny because in one of the sort of montages they had during the broadcast they showed a replay from the the walmart 4k sky cam um <laughs> well done at one point so dogs like turns around and looks for the ball and then has to look up because like, it's nowhere near where he's looking for it and then he's like so he's like turns around uh, <laughs> like I've never seen a guy adjust by looking like vertically up in the air like by 20 degrees relative to where he started off looking for the football poor Jordan Love and Chris every time Jordan Love does something good it gets compared to either Mahomes like anytime any quarterback does something good it's like oh that's Mahomesian so he gets compared to Mahomes or of course Aaron Rodgers or Brett Favre mm. but on this particular play I think Chris makes a good point remember Aaron Rodgers used to throw the super high Hail Marys that came in at a different angle. This was, this was like one of those that just like came in at a different angle that the defense could not judge it and you know landed in Dobbs' hands. But then the next play, or two, whatever plays later, the touchdown pass to Christian Watson. Yeah. That was one of those, I'm like, the confidence that Jordan Love is playing with, which maybe a few weeks ago we would have said was reckless, right? You're kind of on your back foot. But now, as you mentioned, like the accuracy is out of this world. And he throws the ball up and away from coverage in the back of the end zone for Christian Watson to go up and get it. It was ridiculous. A ridiculous play. But that's a perfect. But those were the types of plays that they needed. And that the, he wasn't making earlier in the season. Like that catch to Watson, I think, is a perfect example of like four weeks ago or whatever. His location on that throw would have been 
a yard off and it still would have been catchable, but it probably would have been broken up or Watson would have, you know, had to make an adjustment that was more difficult and dropped it or, you know, something would have gone wrong in that play because Love's ball location would have been slightly off. Instead, he like threads it absolutely perfectly outside of the reach of the DB and all Watson has to do is just jump up, high point it and make the kind of relatively routine catch that a good wide receiver is supposed to be able to make. Like that difference, and you know, maybe it's one throw, maybe he would have made this anyway, but this is the type of throw that Love is now making routinely that he wasn't a month ago. I can't say enough good things about Jordan Love. Um, as far as how he's played the last few weeks and and just the, like the, in particular these last the last two weeks, it was against the Lions and against the Chiefs two of the best teams in the league. And he just looks so confident, throwing with um, the arm talents. Like, everything just looks incredible for, for Jordan Love right now. But I keep going back to, was it, did he have a little bit of, of success that got him playing with great confidence? Did he just hit this tipping point of experience? But the confidence, even just the uh, mastery at the line of scrimmage, you know, he was getting to second plays. He was audibling. They were snapping the ball late in the play clock. You know, he was getting into the right play pretty often. And I, and what I think has happened here is that's opened up the Green Bay offense. Um, sometimes we definitely think too much about is it the play call or is it the quarterback, but you're seeing this happen in tandem here. Green Bay can't be creative offensively if Jordan Love is missing easy throws, as he was earlier in the year, if he's just missing everything down the field. But now that he's hitting on some of those, now you get, again, the misdirection. So they get Christian Watson in space, and unfortunately he hurts his hamstring. But as they're trying to grind out the clock and four-minute drill, a beautiful misdirection play to Christian Watson for a little tap pass first down. Now he goes down with a hamstring, but even just those types of plays that they're able to run, getting tight ends in space, um, general end-around plays, I mean, they did a great job with all of that. So it was not. It's not just Jordan Love. It's his ability to hit hit passes, play with confidence, and Matt Lafleur's confidence in his own play calling, which was really good with Aaron Rodgers there. It's all starting to come together for Green Bay in their offense. Yeah, it is. I mean, they, their offense is coming together. The young players are are playing well. Jordan Love's taking a huge step forward. Christian Watson could be a huge blow because it looks like for whatever freaky reason post thanksgiving christian watson in the nfl is a different beast to pre-thanksgiving christian watson for real so hopefully that's not a bad hamstring injury for him um, but everything's working for them the other element is their pass rush showed up in not necessarily overall throughout the game but they showed up in massive uh downs early in the game and right. knocked kansas city out of scoring positions a couple of times like Sacking Patrick Mahomes is one of the most difficult things in the NFL to do, and they were able to do it multiple times. On third down. Yeah, in critical situations on third down to get the Chiefs off the field. First two Chiefs drives, they go 70 yards and then 69 yards. And and then the Packers had 75 yards in each of their drives, right? But the Packers scored touchdowns, and then the Chiefs scored field goals, kicked field goals. And there was a point where the Chiefs came out in the second half, they scored touchdowns on their first two drives. Um there was a point where the Chiefs had four real drives and they'd scored on all of them. Um, but then the last three drives, punt, interception, and then the fourth down uh, failed Hill Mary on the comeback attempt. So um, the interception was also huge. Patrick Mahomes, they threw a little, they tried to run a little pick rub route to Sky Moore. Um, 
don't think they got a great look, but um, Keyshawn Nixon, unbelievable play. Great play. Because like, the whole thing is designed to pick him. He plays over the top of it and then just sprints to the spot. And like a center fielder, like a free safety, just unbelievable ball skills to go to go pick off Mahomes in the fourth quarter. You know, when it's like oh, Mahomes and the Chiefs, they're down five. Of course they're going to go do this. That puts the – that got the ball back for the Packers. They came back, kicked a field goal, which is huge. So now it's like no, not only did the Chiefs need a touchdown, they also needed the two-point conversion and, of course, got neither. Um, but that – the Nixon interception was just massive for the, for the Packers. So, yeah, credit their young defense making plays. And I uh, can't speak enough good things about this offense. Yeah, Christian Watson finished with seven catches for 71 yards and two scores. Would be a massive loss with that. Looks like a hamstring. Yeah, the uh, the Chiefs, another defense that was essentially down to the third string at linebacker, and the offense they were facing was the same tree as that, you know, Shanahan versus Philadelphia. So Jack Conkren comes in uh, as the third string middle linebacker, makes a couple of plays, but overall was – you know, not didn't have the best game in the world, but you could tell like the difference between Jack Cochran and say Nick Bolton as their primary linebacker was probably significant in the game. Yeah, I think yeah that kind of caught up to Kansas City. Their defense had been fantastic, but um, at the same time, loves making a lot of plays, man. So Green Bay is the team you don't want to run into in the playoffs. Is this this is you declaring them that, uh, or this is they have been declared that, and you have just identified them I'm, as the I'm, first? I'm somewhat declaring that because, man, I, look, I don't know what to make of two games, but the Packers the last two weeks taking it to the Lions and the Chiefs, they're capable of some high end ball, man. They're they're capable of playing some high end football. I'm telling you, I think the uh, the buzz around the league this week is that's what that's what the Packers are going to be declared. Okay, but um. But realistically, look, I'm not saying they're going to beat the Niners, Eagles, or the Cowboys, but they've shown they could beat some of the best teams in the league, and pretty convincingly as well. So, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad calls at the end. Yeah, that I mean, whatever. The, the right? NFL is not fixed because it was bad for both teams. That equally. that pass interference, the non-call, is horrendous. And and again, like this is a an island game where New York is sitting there in direct contact with the officials. The fact that that was not fixed live is completely inexcusable because whatever about missing it live, maybe for whatever reason, the ref had a weird angle on the play and it looked not as bad as it was from his angle. Okay, sometimes you're going to miss it, right? New York is sitting there watching this replay and has 40 seconds to buzz down and be like, dude, Pull the flag out of your pocket and throw the damn thing on the field. You screwed this one up. And apparently didn't do that. That is way worse than anything else that happened. I think it was just as bad. I think the late hit. You're out of your mind on the late hit thing. That's borderline. And in previous seasons. He wasn't even halfway out of bounds. I kind of get it. If it's halfway out of bounds, I still hate it because you're still inbounds. He was. They made contact. Look, I I apologize if I have the same rant as last week. But the NFL is implementing rules to protect players. Mm-hmm. And I, I, uh, our friend Mitchell Schwartz maybe called maybe called me out yesterday on some of my wording, and I because I use the word baiting that QBs are baiting defenders into penalties. I don't know if they're actively trying to do that, but QBs they're competitors, they're trying to grab every last yard, right? Whether it's right before they slide, right before they get out of bounds, right before they throw the ball away, 
They're trying to they're trying to win. They're trying to be competitive. But you, I don't think the NFL can have it both ways. If they're going out of their way to protect quarterbacks, the quarterback has to protect himself. This is the whole point, the whole Brady spiel. He wasn't saying all football's bad. He's saying we were taught to protect ourselves and other players. If all of the rules are out there to protect quarterbacks and they're going to start sliding at the very last second, trying to grab every inch of the field before, in, in basically inducing late hits, inducing late hits on throwaways, the quarterback has to take responsibility for protecting himself. Now, there's risk. Mahomes lowered his shoulder and got popped by a defender. His fault. If he got hurt, that's a stupid play to grab that little extra yard. I'm just saying, if the league is going to protect QBs from those hits, they need to like not get the extra yard, not slide at the very last second so guys are kneeing you in the head trying to avoid a penalty. It's bad football. It's ugly, stupid, bad football. That's what needs to stop. And that's why that was such an egregious late hit call because he's got both feet inbounds. No, he's clearly got, a runner. He's got one foot in back. He's clearly a runner. Look at on the pitch. It's I, horrendous, man. You're out of your mind if you think that that's not a call that's been made multiple times in recent years. Like that is a borderline call. And, and, and it shouldn't have been. Where he's on his way out of the field. He's still got one foot inbounds at the point contact is made. But the majority of his body is over the white line. And At that point, absolutely that flag has been It's thrown. wrong. It's absolutely wrong. When the quarterback is trying to get this last inch and it's and it's inducing a 15-yard penalty, they're going to give you 15% of the field. But you can't say because it's an egregious of, for hitting call a, if it's one that's been routinely made. Hasn't been made all year, and it was wrong in previous years when they made it too. <laughs> but the point is it has been made a lot in previous years. It only is off this Where's year. The run? Because he could have they, gone out half a yard earlier, protected himself. The whole, the, all, that's what all the rules are, are designed to it's do. It's only off this year because they've pushed back on that specific call and haven't been calling that this year relative to previous years. That's why DJ that Reed last ran year, right by him earlier in the year. If that gets called last year, nobody's even paying attention to it. They're just like, yeah, all right, it was a late hit. It was a little off. Maybe it should have been inbounds. But nobody's he's even not complaining. Halfway. Dude, he starts lowering his shoulder while he's not even to the hash marks yet. He's lowering his shoulder, waiting for contact. Because he's a football player waiting for contact on the playing field. He's, yeah, bracing for contact because he's going to get hit. When the hit happens... Is... Because it's a legal hit because he's running in green grass. He would have been bracing for contact if it had been an illegal hit. He's getting hit either way. The only question is, is he getting hit before or after he steps on the white he's line? He's also running at an angle. He, like, so a lot of times you're running, at an, you're running along the hash marks, right? And then you duck out. He's running at an angle where he's running toward out of bounds. He's not necessarily running out of bounds. Yeah, he's running this is, for the first down marker. This is as bad as the pass interference. I don't Stop. care what you say. You're it is your as bad as the pass That's interference. That's ridiculous. Because this, if this didn't happen, they call the pass interference call. That's also ridiculous. Of course. This is not It's as all bad. bad. You, no, that's Addy. You're absolutely crazy. The you're, pass interference is one of the worst call, no calls that's been made all season long and in any season would be an absolutely egregious no call of football. This it's, is one of the worst late hits the guy. I've ever seen. This is one of the Don't worst late ridiculous. hits I've ever seen. That's one of the dumbest statements you've made on this podcast. This is one of the worst. That's the, absolutely absurd. Given the time of the game. No. You're, <laughs> it also it came in like an hour late. Yeah, I don't even know the, where the flag the came from. The referee right in front of him is just like, nope. He wants no down. part of it. I don't even know where the flag came from, but it's not one of the most egregious Because calls. they're just triggered by, oh, it's, it just hit him along the sideline. It must be late. Let me throw the flag. Where did the flag come from? 
Way back, Judge. Way back somewhere. It's not the umpire running it either. I don't even no, know. No, it's who not the guy the sitting right in front of him because he's like, hey, the quarterback just braced for contact on the football field and got hit. That's not a penalty. Or the ref following it in from behind. I literally don't know where this flag comes from. Man, sorry if I'm yelling. Yeah. I mean, you're wrong yeah. and crazy, but cool. He's on the football field when he gets hit and he's waiting for it because he knows he's, he's a runner running on green grass. <laughs> And you're likely to get hit. He's waiting for the hit is the single dumbest argument I've heard you make this year. Because he was still on the field. Because guys don't brace for contact when they're on the white. Of course they do. That's the stupidest thing you've ever said. I'm saying he's, he's running towards another human being that's going to hit him. Whether or not he's in or out of bounds, he will be bracing contact. It's when he starts. He knows he's going to get hit because he starts bracing a yard away from the sideline. You know when he starts bracing? Right as he's about to get hit. Like, he starts bracing at the point where contact is imminent. Which is a yard away That's from the sideline. That's what you do, regardless of when the hit is happening. You don't go, oh, it's cool. I'm going to be out of bounds by the time he hits me, so I don't even need to think about contact because it's illegal. This so is, I'm okay. This is an egregious late hit call. Anyway, Packers 27, Chiefs 19. Good discussion. Mm. I got to get to a meeting. Now it's 935. We were on incredible pace. Yeah. But we did it again. So you came up with the worst the lightest argument ever week made. Uh, in the, of the NFL season, and we still did it. Mm -hmm. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We got Monday Night Football, Jags and Bengals. I might tweet out some Jags Monday Night Football propaganda throughout the day here. I'm sure people will be, be excited by that. All right. You'll be back here tomorrow. Yeah. Talking about all of it. I might be here Wednesday. Maybe not. We'll see what happens. Well, send us in uh, questions or topics for Wednesday because we'll need a show if you're not. Okay. So, NFLpodcast.pff.com. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Tell Sam how wrong he is about this. We'll talk to you again later in the week.